This is this is definitely the biggest event, uh, the biggest crypto event of 2022. Maybe the I biggest would say ever. Uh, right? Other than the the Genesis block of Ethereum itself, this is the most significant event since that. And so this is now now we've got uh, bullish David back. I think for for, for the <laughs> plus moment, one to the bullish the side. We got three for the bear. We got one for the bull. Hey, Bankless Nation! Happy third week of March, David. What time is it? Uh, it's the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up Time, Ryan, where we cover the entire news that happened in the last week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, and this week is no exception. Uh, and this one is a little bit different this week, I'd say, just because, you know, it feels like uh, Merge Week, Ryan. I don't know why it, it feels, feels like, like Merge Week, but it does. Merge Week. Okay, that's the Ethereum merge you're talking about. Yeah. It's funny because that's still months away, months but suddenly... Away. It was like everyone was talking about the merge again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, including people, us. People, it was us. Yeah, guilty, guilty. <laughs> uh, people have decided that the next thing to focus on is the merge. Who knows? We we have like three plus months until the merge actually comes. So you know, maybe this is just one week, and then the, the topic of next week will be a different topic. But this week, the topic of crypto Twitter was definitely the merge. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that Ethereum merge week. Also, the biggest NFT M&A deal ever. Yeah. Apes buy punks. I'm going to talk. I'm going to interview a punk holder and see uh, how he feels about that one on today's episode. Sure. Talking about you, David. Who are you interview? <laughs> oh, like me? All right. And then they released a coin, too. So I don't know what that means. We're going to talk about the ape coin as well. Zuckerberg, that's Mark Zuckerberg, also said NFTs are coming to Instagram. Big surprise. Not really. We knew he was uh, going to do it. How is he going to do it? We'll talk about that later. Also, Stripe, the payment platform, fintech platform, jumping into crypto huge. with both feet. Huge. Yeah. I think this is hugely underrated and probably mm. the biggest thing that happened this week. And uh, we'll have to talk about that too. Uh, David, before we get in, we should talk about our friends at Zerion. Guys, I've loved Zerion since it launched. This is the way a bank user interface should be, except banks can't pull it off. Because banks are not connected to decentralized finance. Uh, you can bring your own assets to Zerion. You cannot bring them to your Wells Fargo bank account. And this is what it looks like. David, they've just added a whole bunch of multi-chain features, some bridging features. Uh, tell them what's going on in Zerion these days. Well, yeah, especially as we get into this layer two world, which we have plenty to talk about this week in the weekly roll-up. It's going to require infrastructure to help manage your assets, not, not just the many, many more assets that you have in your Ethereum wallet versus what you have in your bank, but also in the many, many more chains that you uh, engage with, much more than just the Ethereum L1. Uh, so not only is the Ethereum L1 obviously available, but all of the Ethereum Layer 2s like Arbitrum and Optimism, and also the alternative EVM-compatible Layer 1s like Avalanche and uh, the other ones. <laughs> and so depending on whatever chain that you are on or whatever asset that you prefer, Zerion's the place for you to go and manage all of your crypto finance. Uh, it's just, you know, things that your bank could never do, Zerion does for you. Really cool too, as well, being able to bridge from one chain to another. If you want to go to ETH to Polygon in a hurry, you can do that in uh, Zerion. You can also view all of your NFTs. Mm. Lots of cool stuff going on in Zerion. So guys, check that out. There is a link in the show notes 
where you can connect your wallet to Zerion and get started. All right, David. This couldn't be your wallet, Ryan. You, that's way too sophisticated NFTs for this, you. Oh, this is sophisticated, huh? <laughs> yeah. These are really good. No, this is not my wallet, by the way. This is a demo wallet. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll get to some of my NFTs a little bit later. Yeah. You notice a little something behind me today? It's just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've noticed that it's a great looking cat. It's got a little bit more shine than my punk, and I'm a little bit upset by it. It, it, you know, it starts as a cat, and who knows what other animal it could turn into? Maybe something with a shell? I don't know. We'll see a little bit later hey, today. But Brian let's first. started with Stark turtles, markets. graduated to MFers, <laughs> and now is at cats. He's starting to get into the blue chips, folks. Yeah, I'm working my way up here. Um, I'm learning, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the market. What's the market teaching us? What is the market telling us? Let's start with Bitcoin. What's the price this week, David? Yeah, we got a happy Bitcoin this week, Ryan. It started at $39,000, went down and touched the low of $38,000 very briefly, and then recovered right back up and started climbing out of that hole to where it is now at $40,700. Hit a high of over uh, $41,000. So overall up 5% on the week. Uh, So happy week. Could also just be a recovery off of a very bearish week the last week. So, you know, who knows? I'm a little surprised about that. Are you surprised that we're actually going up this week? Um, I am conflicted that we are going up this week. Okay, because it was all uh, it was all about bearish David last week. I was very week, bearish. I want to know week. whether whether bearish David has has returned again this mm-hmm. week, or whether it's a, a more neutral David, or or maybe the bull David is back. Uh. Not Vol David's not back. It's it's Vol David's not full, back. full okay. conflicted David. Where we can we're, we're going to be talking about this throughout the markets. Where just macro has not changed at all, and in fact has even I would say gotten worse. Uh, meanwhile, like the merge is just so bullish. Like how do you how do I square these things? I just don't know. <laughs> you just buy more ETH is what you do. <laughs> but speaking of which, tell us what the ETH price is doing this week. Yeah, ETH started the week at two thousand six hundred dollars, hit a low of two thousand five hundred ish dollars, and then climbed right back up out of that to where it is now at two thousand eight hundred dollars. Uh, especially in the last twenty four hours at the time of recording, this is we always record these as, as Thursday morning, by the way. Um, uh, so. Uh, where it is now is is up from 2,500, basically just 24 hours ago, or 2,600 to 2,800, kind of climbing out of that hole that it set. Uh, and then if you kind of just zoom out, Ryan, there's a, there's another chart that we have uh, available. I, I don't know if you pulled it up. Yeah, uh, this is the the creator of the of these charts who drew these lines would like us to inform you that these are just meme lines, and that's really all TA is is meme lines. But if you know if you know Bankless, we know that memes are real. Uh, there's a there's a, a triangle. There's a triangle here, and uh, the 2,800 level of ETH price is poking through that triangle, and that has been a descending uh, line, a descending line from where it was at the start of the year for like three to four months of the ETH price just descending on this line. Uh, and it's poking through. It's poking through saying, hey, what's up on the on the upside of this line? Um, so who it, knows? It's, it's, it's trying to figure out what merge week means yes. for the price of ETH. Yes, I mean, that's, that's right. what, what's going on. Well, how about the ETH to Bitcoin ratio? Because this is our bull market, bear market indicator. When ratio goes up, mm-hmm. we're generally more bullish. When ratio goes down, more bearish, uh, and it's up this week? Yeah, it's up this week, and you can see that line that I was talking about that basically started towards the end of December where the merge hit the high of 
or excuse me, the merge. The ETH BTC ratio hit the high of like what looks like 0 0.086 in December. And then it has had that linear line down setting lower highs and uh, just basically for the last like four months. So started at point like 0 0.088 in like January is at 0 0.082. In February is at 0 0.075 like to where it bottomed at basically 0 0.064. But since hitting that bottom at 0 0.064, we have climbed back out to 0 0.0. Six eight. So, you know, like there, there's a, a shape being formed here, and we actually got some charty chart stuff to look at with that too. Uh, so this is uh, what was called a, a channel, uh, and so uh, we touched the bottom of that channel in, earlier last week, uh, and we have bounced off of it. And so if you are perhaps a trader, you are looking at how Ether is in the bottom of this channel, heading heading back towards the top of this channel. So if it continues that, uh, you know, bullish, bullish. What about this one? Oh, and this is a triangle. We all we, we love the shapes. We love the triangles. Uh, and so again, it's it's another th the the concept here is that as this triangle converges, something happens at the end of this triangle. Uh, like it's got to go up or it's got to go down. This is what traders look at when they look at these things. Uh, and this is a, a wedge, I believe. Uh, and and if you'll notice, Ryan, that the wedge comes to a close right around July, right around when the merge would happen. Uh, and so things are lining up like uh, I don't pay attention to TA too much, but I do know that there are real reasons to look at it. Uh, and when you see an inflection point happening around the same time as something very, very fundamental, that is interesting. That's an interesting thing to look at. Okay, so so we're looking at TA. All right. We almost never do that mm -hmm. on Bankless. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like we're looking at TA in this episode because you're you're feeling like conflicted feeling as to what's conflicted. going to happen next. Yeah. This is this is when you pull out the, like the horoscopes, or mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the the TA, the TA right is when you're like, what's the future going to hold? Let me look at the charts. Let me look at TA yeah. when you you don't really know, and it could fall one one way or the other. So what is uh what is it about this market that's so you know like conflicting right now? Is it, is it the fundamentals of the ETH merge happening in 2022 yet? In the backdrop, we have all of this macro ba bad news. We've got obviously, you know, war in Ukraine, commodities, uh, price increases, shortages everywhere. Still, the tail end of COVID, economy, uh, like inflation. The Fed just raised rates, which mm -hmm. you're going to talk to. It's all that macro stuff you're contending with, mixed with the bullish, otherwise bullish. Uh, specifically Ethereum news. Is that what's going on in your mind here? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good summary. Uh, I, I talked about this on last week where. There's so many things about the current crypto markets, talking just about crypto right now, that are reminiscent of the end of the cycle last year. Like last, last gasps of the mania for people to just la grab their last amount of hype and, and attention so they can exit. You said last year. Do you, do you mean like last, last cycle, like, like 2018? 2018, last cycle, okay. right. Yeah, like yep. super cringy ICOs and people were just participating in them because that was just like the leftover energy. And like now we're seeing, we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the ape coin, but like, People, when people run out of ideas, what do they do? They issue tokens because that's the only idea that they have left. And ultimately, that just becomes dilution, uh, and that's bearish. Uh, and so, like, like, we're seeing just the attention just leave out of the, the whole play-to-earn gaming side of crypto. We're seeing attention leave out of the NFT side of crypto. Uh, we're seeing people just hanging on on these desperate attempts for, for attention. And so, so much of the crypto industry just feels like it has lost the tailwinds. Uh, 
And on top of that, there's just all of the macro bearishness. There's the commodity markets that just suck right now. We're going to look at uh, the, uh, the like a, an index of equities charts and just kind of looks looks bad. And meanwhile, like like Putin is scared and in a corner, and like that's volatile. And so like you know that you know that meme Ryan of like that that the building that's toppling over, and there are like three steel beams that are holding it up. Like that yeah. feels like the the world, and the beams that are holding it up are is the merge. And so like there's an infinity <laughs> number of like bearish things going on, but the merge is so bullish, and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll find it out by the end of this episode once we go through the the merge. How you're feeling at the mm-hmm. end of this, David? But yeah, I I understand the conflict here. Um, let's talk about the bed index because this is a nice blend. Mm. DeFi, Bitcoin, and ETH. What are we looking at on the week? Yeah, started the week at $101, ending the week at $103.78. So up like 4 or 5% on the week, 3 or 4% on the week. Um, modestly up. Modestly up. Let's 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 switch to some of this macro stuff for a minute yeah. in, our, in, I guess, our FedWatch uh, segment. So Powell came out this week. Turns out he is more hawkish than the market expected. I don't know what I expected. I, I kind of expected him to be hawkish in the face of inflation. Hawkish means looking to raise rates, looking to um, get a bit tighter on monetary policy these days. Uh, so the big news is they are increasing, the Fed is increasing its uh, interest rate by 25 basis points, so a quarter of a percent. I believe that's happening sometime in March. I'm not sure exactly. There's some other things we can get into, but what do you think this means high level? I thought this was expected. I thought the Fed the Fed raising by 0.25% was like viewable from a long way off. So I kind of been confused as to how the hawkishness interpretation came about. Yeah, I guess maybe some people thought that given events in Ukraine mm. that the Fed might sort of change their their position worried about like the the r word has been used recently with commodity prices uh increasing the recession word and of course they have to balance inflation with the the threat and fear uh uh of recession so uh, this is the this is also the first increase since 2018 i'd forgotten it's been that long so that's a big deal yeah so we were just the fred was just getting into raising interest rates post i believe 2008 or something uh, and started doing that in 18 yeah. and then boom, COVID <laughs> and they just right. scrapped those plans. And then now right. they're start, they were about to start to raise interest rates and then boom, Russia invades Ukraine. Uh, but now this time it looks like they are not stopping the raising of interest rates because of the invasion. So maybe that's the hawkishness is like, Oh, they didn't give us another free ride. I guess that's yeah. the take so far. Apparently his language is, um, they outlined seven more hikes this year. So seven more hikes this year, and then four hikes, interest rate hikes in 2023, so next year. Uh, They're also planning to run down their balance sheet a little bit, so that's kind of equivalent to another hike, um, discharging some assets from from the balance sheet. So discharging assets from the balance sheet was one of the reasons why the whole entire market turned over in December and January, and and we've been bearish ever since because people were like, oh, that's actually way more aggressive in terms of interest rates increases than we ever kind of accounted for. And the markets have been bearish ever since. Exactly. And, you know, people are, look, people are asking the Fed to do something about inflation. Right. Like that's, that's coming from politicians now too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Powell also hinted that if they did 11 hikes uh, this year, that that would not cause a recession. He, he used the words no recession 
because he said aggregate demand is strong, tight labor market, there's a tight uh, labor market, and household balance sheets are strong. So he doesn't think that these rate hikes and this more ag- like ag- aggressive monetary policy you know, contraction will actually lead to a recession. That's an interesting take. And of course, look, the Fed can change its mind at any time. Like between this meeting and next meeting could be a totally different story. But this is a new message coming out of the Fed. Do you remember six months ago uh, or so, the, the, the big story on, on the roll-ups about the Fed's action was like completely ignoring inflation? Right. Like it's, um, it's only temporary. Transitory. It, yeah. Transitory inflation. And now this is a complete direction right. change, which is like, oh, inflation's here and we have to fight it. And not less than six, six months later, this is the new message coming out of the Fed. So that's interesting in and of itself. Well, I mean, it sounds like they've done their research. They've certainly done more research than I have because I didn't measure like the average like cash on hand for the average American household. But at the same time, like the, the, the game of controlling inflation and interest rates is such a game of game theory. So like the Fed is like, oh yeah, we're going to raise interest rates like seven more times in 2022. But in the back office, they could be like, all right guys, we're going to tell everyone that we're going to raise interest rates seven exactly. times in 2022. Exactly. And maybe we're actually only going to do it four times. And so the market is actually also playing the game theory game is like, all right, so that's what they said. But what do you think they're really going to do? And like, it just throws everything into a ridiculous mess. And that is why people should not be in charge of the value of money. Anyways. Yeah, well, another story there. But uh, this is what equities are doing. I think this is an interesting chart from Mm -hmm. a from a macro perspective. But what are you seeing in this chart? This is I believe this is a composite index uh, from from the Nasdaq, basically. Looks like a you know I don't know twenty years something mm-hmm. long long very time very long time horizons yeah so every single candle is one month so very very long time horizon I, th- I think we actually accidentally cut out the bottom of the 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 chart but you can see when COVID happened uh, and then you can kind of see when the two thousand eight crash happened uh, yeah bad uh, and as you look very very recently you, like. There are three, maybe four examples of like a bunch of red on this chart. And one of them is in the last like four months. Uh, We've had like, I think I see four, three or four monthly red candles in the last four months. And when you look at how fast this is a, this is a, a NASDAQ composite index. When you look how fast it's gone up in the last like two years, you I see that I'm like pretty fearful about how much room there is to go down. Uh, and when like, We've, we've noticed crypto be super correlated to traditional stock markets and the rest of the macro markets. And so if that does like turn over as it's looking like it's currently doing without any sort of recovery, like that makes me scared. That makes me scared. Especially yeah, when there's a war have, in Europe. Yeah, equities could have a, a ways to drop is what you're saying. Yes, basically. that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, well, speaking of dropping, this is a chart we don't often look at. We used to. <laughs> We used to look at Here's this chart. Here's why we don't uh, look at this chart anymore. Absolute demolishing. So we are looking what at is we are looking chart? at the DPI ETH chart, the DeFi, the value of DeFi aggregate in ETH terms. Uh, we used to look at this chart a lot, uh, but it kept on going down every single week, and so it stopped being alpha and started being depressing. I think the last time <laughs> the last time we reported it, it was something in like 0. 0.065 DPI per ETH, and now we are down to 0. 0.055. Uh, so I mean, this is really since like DeFi summer, yeah. basically. It has not um, let me see if I can max this out. Well, you know, I had some recovery, I suppose, earlier in yeah. the year, a little bit of recovery, and th- this is this is kind of the fake out. Like yeah. you know, we thought DeFi was was back on the rise again, 
um, but it didn't happen, at least relative to ETH. And uh, it's just bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's just completely bleeding out uh, as compared to ETH right now. And ETH is retaining, sucking in more value. What do you think? Like, do you think this ever changes? I mean, now people go to the opposite end of the spectrum. 18 months ago, the narrative was it's all about DeFi. All you need is Bitcoin and DeFi tokens mm-hmm. and no ETH. Those are the things that are going to accrue value. Now it's kind of flipped a little right. bit where people are saying ETH is forever don't even going need to gain you value. Need <laughs> you don't, well, and you don't need DeFi tokens, right. right? And like, there's this fear almost that. ETH has become so deflationary mm. that it could suck out all of the value from the greater Ethereum economy and all of the DeFi tokens. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think having justifying like having your Ethereum exposure in DeFi tokens never made any sense to me because every time you add a token to Ethereum, you benefit Ether because of EIP-1559. Like the economic activity that you create by having a new token flows back into EIP-1559 via transaction fees. It doesn't work the other way. Like the value of ether going up doesn't benefit your token. It's only it's only one way. Tokens benefit ETH. ETH doesn't benefit tokens. Uh, and so you get exposure to every single token on Ethereum by just holding ETH. And so like when you look at the DeFi bleed versus ETH, it's kind of what you would expect, especially when a lot of DeFi has high issuance from yield farming versus Ether, which is quote unquote deflationary, not, not in practice, but in theory and in later in practice. This is kind of what you would expect. This is what happens when, when your base money is deflationary. Everything else kind of goes to zero in relation to it. But do you think this will happen forever? Like, surely DeFi tokens will have a resurgence, won't they? Yeah, they can have a resurgence, but then it can continue to still happen forever, Ryan. Like, like <laughs> we, we could have a bullish year for DeFi tokens, and then once again, it can resume its towards zero trend versus Ether. I think, personally, I think that what's going to shake out is you somewhat in the middle, right? It's like, I think that now we're now we're on the other That's not side a spicy of the narrative take at switch. All. <laughs> I, just think, I just think that, like... Um, we're like we go overboard on on narratives, right? So in one direction, it was like ETH is going to have no value and it's all DeFi tokens. Now we're probably on the other side of that pendulum swing where mm-hmm. everyone's like, well, ETH is going to slurp out all of the value of DeFi. There won't ever be like DeFi tokens that are accruing value relative to ETH. Yeah. And I kind of think that's the time you want to start looking at DeFi a bit more aggressively, right? Um, it's it's hard when you are denominating your returns in ETH to do that. But I do think there are going to be some real winners and some real champions on the DeFi side that that gain relative to ETH. But there's one, I think, compounding factor here that we have to figure out. And we haven't figured this out yet. Uh, And I, I think it's going to be an important, I guess, part of the investment thesis to figure out in 2022, which is like, will the the new DeFi token winners be the winners from the past? Right. Like there was this idea that we'd have a bunch of blue chip uh, DeFi tokens that would continue to grow and expand. But what if what if the turnover is a lot tighter? Right. Like what if the, the winners on Ethereum are not going to be the same as like the winners in the L2 ecosystem mm-hmm. or the winners on alternative chains? What if they're all of these new separate winners and how do you like bake that into the calculation? Because even the DPI, it's just really the Ethereum blue chip. Right tokens the biggest uh tokens by um by value there so that's another piece of the puzzle i think to sort out and i I don't think the market has figured that out either which is why the prices are uh are so depressed too yeah yeah and i i have similar thoughts about the nft ecosystem is that like nfts as a whole can be bullish 
But that's just because people are rotating from one NFT to another to another. And this like the NFT ecosystem is really just this shelling point game as to which is the next NFT that's going to be hot. Right. And you, we, right. we leave all the other previous ones behind. And like the the aggregate DeFi market cap could certainly grow and perhaps it can even grow faster than the ETH market cap. But that doesn't actually mean that that's instantiated into a single asset that you can purchase because the growth exactly. happens in or new tokens. Or even a single... Even a single index yeah, right. is, is hard to capture at all. Right. And, you know, it's not capturing at mm -hmm. all. That's what, you know, DPI is not capturing And that's why all. there's always uh, alpha on the margins of DeFi because not even the D, the indices are going to be able to capture the upsides from these new tokens because for every good winner of a token, there's going to be a hundred negative, like bad tokens that the indexes, like you can't just accept all of them. And so like, that's always why there's going to be investment into DeFi is because there's alpha at the margins. Uh, and then by the time it gets into the indices, like you prize, probably the alpha is probably already taken. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's more work to do here. Uh, and that's obviously, why you buy more ETH. research to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the simplest approach. Yeah. I mean, you need to get an index of exposure to everything. Speaking of ETH prices, mm -hmm. one price that, like in ETH Ethereum economy that is down, is Ethereum gas prices. Mm -hmm. This is a fantastic uh, dashboard on Dune Analytics created by uh, Hildo, no, Hill Dobby. Hill Dobby. Yeah. yeah. And so this is showing us um, gas costs. We'll include this as a resource for you so you can kind of see gas costs over time. Recently, they've spiked. Yeah. And by recently, I mean like in the past few hours, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 24 I was looking hours. at this chart yeah. earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay, 24 hours. I was looking at this chart earlier, and, and the prices to move um, like ETH were like, you know, a dollar or something like this. Right. Now they're up to, to $5 on Ethereum. Um, but what is this showing us uh, overall, David, with the price? gas prices. Well, it's definitely showing us over the last few months or so that gas prices have kind of hit new lows. I think uh, over the last like three months or so, the median gas price was 22 guay, which we have not seen in a very long time. Um, but you can also, this is just a very useful gas board because it shows you time of day and where the spikes happen time of day and also on days of the week. Uh, and, and so it's just actually a, just a really useful resource. I think we're going to be keeping this in the, in the roll up all the time, but like here, here it is over the last day, week and months, blue, blue is in month over the past, over the past month, the average Gwei price, if you take the, like the peak of that chart, I think is something like 30 Gwei. And over the last week, it was something like 22 Gwei for the, for your average uh, gas prices. Super low. Super low. Super low. Um, uh, but then like the, the market movements today, as long, as, along with the board apes, uh, token, which we'll talk about later, uh, we definitely saw a spike above 175 Gwei. So, you know, there's always life somewhere. Um, but, uh, de generally depressed, depressed gas prices, which is a plus one to the bear side of the argument, by the way, let it be clear. <laughs> Depressed gas prices are now a bear, bear market indicator. Um, and I, I guess they always have been, mm -hmm. although people have been saying that high ETH gas prices are bearish for ETH as well. Yeah, uh, haters will say anything's bearish for ETH. <laughs> Visa versus Ethereum volume, look at this. In 2021, Visa moved 10.4 trillion in payments volume. Ethereum moved $11.6 trillion. I think we've talked about this before, but it just warrants repeating that last year, Ethereum moved more in payments volume than the Visa network. That's aggregate of ETH and ETH tokens and stable coins and everything else on Ethereum. That's a pretty big milestone to cross in my mind. Yeah, and I think this is just taking into account 
stable coins. I think that's what payments volume must mean is stable coin transfers, uh, which means it's, it's apples to apples, folks. This isn't like ERC-20 DeFi token transfers versus Visa's settlement in the networks for dollars. This is dollars to dollars. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, apples to apples comparison and Ether, Ethereum won. So, you know, nice job, Ethereum. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, oh, airdrops. That's what the, the topic is right now. So do you hold or sell airdrops? Let me ask you, what's your personal strategy? The airdrops you received last year, did you hold or did you sell? Uh, or did it depend? Almost all of them I sold. Except for ENS. All of them? Almost all of them? Yeah, almost all of them. Except for ENS. ENS I still, I still have. Well, Because uh, I haven't claimed you, it yet. <laughs> <laughs> if like that is the profitable move. Uh, and maybe this is obvious to people who've been paying attention to airdrops over the past year or so, but um, like, look at these, look at these charts, Oof. airdrops. Oof. What, what are we seeing this here is in the, these charts? The uni, this is uni, Uniswap going and spiking from where it got claimed at $3 up to $40 and then down to $10, but $10 was, oh, that's where it is now. Um, so actually, you know, technically it's still winner um, depending on when you sold it. But the, what we're really looking at is like, it's claimed, it goes up, then it goes down, um, you know, and it usually goes up first and then down later. Um, so yeah, uh, things, but this, this is just another articulation of what we were talking about earlier with the DeFi first versus ETH. Um, but I guess this, this is actually versus dollars now, isn't it? Which is even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the message here is when you get an airdrop, sell it immediately. Mm, no, I think, I think usually it's safe to wait like between like eight and 24 hours. Like usually it pumps and then you sell it. I feel like that's fairly immediate though, that's right? Relatively so like immediate. sell in the first few days or the first week yeah. is, has been the profitable move thus far. Have your finger over the sell button. Yeah. For, sell, for, sell for ETH. I wonder if that ever reverses or ever changes if airdrops will become... See, the thing is like... Maybe that's just the nature airdrops of airdrops. Airdrops are is, issuance and issuance is inflationary and inflationary is dilutive and that's just all bearishness. bearishness. Airdrops are also a fantastic way to get your coin into every like crypto media publication onto everyone's radar right. in like attention. Twitter, you know, Reddit. Right. So it's yes, you get it's one week of attention. attention. Right. So you see these like they're almost like attention spikes, yeah. particularly for some of these really small uh, market cap tokens. Like I'm not sure what this is, but like uh, I think that happened like SOS. Do you remember that one yep. that happened in December? Yep. Just a quick spike and then it's gone. Yep. Whatever talks about attention spikes. Wow, I'm gonna. I think we should log that one because so many charts in crypto are not chart just charts of the price, but actually are just proxies for people's attention. But they really are, yeah. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, Three hours capital is putting some attention on ETH. Yeah. right now. Right. What's this uh, transaction? Yeah, because because Three hours capital is so large, it's very easy to figure out which addresses are there. So they have uh, basically everyone has their addresses tagged, and one of their addresses added forty thousand five hundred ether, about one hundred and twelve million dollars, uh, about uh, at two a.m. last night. Uh, so it'll be a little bit more than twenty four hours uh, ago from the from the listeners' perspective when they are listening to this on Friday. Uh, so three hours capital, the rotators rotating into ETH <laughs> ahead of the merge. Here we go. Oh man, how how long ago was it? The Ethereum's abandoning its users tweet. Uh, is that like, like four months ago? Four months ago. Four or five months ago. We're back in. Yeah, we're, right we're on back schedule. in. Un- unabandoners. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's talk about this. So a few things on um, Tara Do Kwan, mm-hmm. his list. Number one is he is buying, or uh, Tara is planning to buy $10 billion worth of Bitcoin for its reserves. $10 which billion. Is, uh, what? Pretty impressive. How um, much does Michael Saylor have? I don't think he has $10 billion. No. There's no way he has $10 billion. I mean that's that's absolutely massive and and how are they how are they doing this of course it's the value of of Luna right uh so like on one side it's like you're taking your your Luna token proceeds and you're diversifying into into Bitcoin and using that as a reserve Doquan says this is uh, going to open a new monetary era of the Bitcoin standard and it's you know what this kind of reminds me of a little bit is actually um what EOS did yeah. and people are going to like hate that I just compared EOS to Luna, and I'm not comparing them in all respects. But in this respect, EOS did. They raised a whole bunch of Bitcoin and ETH. Um, They sold the vast majority of their ETH. They kept their Bitcoin. It's like billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin on reserve for EOS. And I have no idea what they're actually doing with that right now. But um, it's kind of like a way to get cheap Bitcoin. How? The issuance of EOS. And they sold it when... EOS was much higher than it is today. Um, I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening here, but it feels a little similar. Mm-hmm. What's your take on this, David? So I'm not an expert in the dynamics between behind the Terra ecosystem, but they have like the Terra USD, which they are saying that this this 10 billion in Bitcoin is going to be like the backstop for it, like kind of like how the Federal Reserve has gold and other foreign reserve assets to shore up the value of the U.S. dollar if the time ever comes to it, right? Like they can use their treasuries to protect the protect the peg or protect the value of the currency. What in my mind, uh, this is just signaling a lack of confidence on the nature of your own asset. Like, why can't you use your own money to, to, back, to back your stable coin? If, if you have confidence on the long-term sustainability of your own ecosystem, why do you need an alternative store of value to, shore, the, to backstop the value of your stable coin? And, and plus, like, if the value of UST, of Terra USD, depends on something external to the Luna protocol, that's an external dependency that is not cryptographic. That is trust. You have to have the security of your own network solved inside of your own network. You can't have an external money be the thing that props up the value of your stablecoin. So to me, this just shows a lack of confidence in the value of, of Luna. Uh, because they have to go elsewhere to have their store of value, uh, and that's exactly it dep- so. It you know what you know what it 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 um, I guess it seems like to me is it feels a bit more like you sold stocks to buy some money, mm-hmm. right? It's like this is why I've always thought that that Luna and the Tarot ecosystem is a bit more on the like fintech mm-hmm. side of the spectrum right. than than like. And Ethereum or or Bitcoin are on kind of the the hard sound money end of the spectrum, right? And I guess from Terra's perspective, if you don't think the Luna Luna coin is actually like money, a monetary asset, then what you're doing is you're taking some of your equity, almost like some of your stock, and you are exchanging that for a real money, like a, a much harder money. And and you're kind of doing the the fintech play too, because you're like sort of holding that to backstop your your assets so i guess maybe it makes sense from from that perspective but that perspective itself doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) i mean we're not here for like new fintech um we're here for the cryptographic futures with no external dependencies 
Oh, that's that's the bankless take. Uh, this is also interesting, uh-huh. Doquana, in the news. So there was a a wager of some sort, a bet of some sort. What uh, what was this bet, David? Uh, this was a, a bet created on Twitter. Uh, and so Do Kwan, you know, the, the founder of Terra Luna and this Sensi Algod, which is like a crypto trader Twitter account, um, going, we're going at it about the future value of, of Luna. Uh, and so uh, Do Kwan proposes a $1 million US uh, tether bets, UST bets, so basically dollars, between Sensei Algod and Do Kwan himself saying that uh, in one year's time, from March 14th, if the price of Luna is higher than $88, Doquan pockets the million dollars, or and if it's lower, then Sensei God pockets a million dollars. Uh, you know, it's just always a great popcorn season to see the founders of, of Layer 1's bet about the future price of their Layer 1 asset. Like, especially after it just flips Solana, right? And so, like, some big, big, like, cockiness going on on, on Twitter right now. Uh, and then actually, it actually, mm-hmm. it got raised, right? Uh, not raised by that particular person, but a second person came in with another $10 million offer to take the same bet, which Do Kwan also accepted. So Do Kwan has $11 million in exposure in a, the bet against $88 Luna on March 14th, 2023. Um, so, you know... Going back to the whole fintech thing, this kind of feels like Elon Musk when he tweeted out, don't short Tesla, yes. like I'll wreck you. Yes. Yeah. And so yes. like th- you would never ever see Vitalik making a, a statement like this. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a completely different. Culture, yeah. I like, like culture and founder DNA there. Mm. And it does feel a bit more Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, and it feels a lot less Satoshi. It feels a lot less Vitalik. Yes, very much but, so. Is what it is. I'm sorry, you know? but when you see, when I see L1 founders making eleven million dollar bets <laughs> against the value of their assets in one year, I am don't tell me it makes you bearish. Of the whole industry. <laughs> that is a bearish signal. We are plus two to the bear side you know of the what? equation today. Well, we looked at that chart too, the Luna chart in the uh, in our conversation with um, Ledger mm-hmm. earlier in the week, and it's just an absolute massive chart. Right. It's like from thirty cents all the way up to what is Terra right now, or what is Luna right now? Uh, it is. I was looking at it a second ago. It is at. Uh, it it's, is at eighty seven dollars. It is at eighty seven dollars. Thirty two billion dollar market cap versus Solana at twenty nine billion dollar market cap. How do you, you buy $10 billion of Bitcoin on a $32 billion market cap? How much are you going to have to liquidate? You're going to send very that thing slowly. down to zero. You do that You do that very slowly, I think, is uh, is how you do it. I'm sorry. Um, when, and, when Terra, but maybe quickly as well. When Terra was <laughs> like 30 you- cents like a year ago, and now it's at $87, and now the founder is saying, oh, we're going to market by $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. How much bigger of a red flag do you need? Like, where do you think that money is coming from? He's going to market dump Terra to buy Bitcoin. Like, fact check me on this, listeners. Like, maybe I'm wrong. I'm maybe sure it's coming will. from elsewhere. But, like, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we, you, we, we will get fact checked. But, uh, yes, some of these definitely send the, uh, the senses, the spidey yes. senses tingling a little bit. Yeah. Guys, we will be right back with the raises of the week, the releases of the week. And, of course... Merge week. Merge week. But before we do, 
we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys. And that's why so many in the Bankless Nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. And brand new to the Ledger lineup of hardware wallets is the Ledger Nano S Plus, a huge upgrade to the world's most popular hardware wallet. With more memory and a larger screen, the Nano S Plus makes it easy to navigate and verify your transactions. And the paired Ledger Live desktop app gives you increased transparency as to what is about to happen with your NFT. What you see is what you sign. The Nano S Plus gives you the smoothest possible user experience while you're doing all of your crypto things. So go to the Ledger website to check out the features of the new Ledger Nano S Plus and join the waitlist to get yours. And don't forget about the Crypto Life card, also powered by Ledger. The CL card is a crypto debit card that hooks right into the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to doing, like swapping tokens and staking. So if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and take control over your crypto. So, you've got some money, but how are you going to use it? You want to spend. You, me, shopping, now, bro. When you know you should be saving. You'll never buy a house at this rate. But what if you could spend and save at the same time? For the enlightened kind, with inquiring minds, a new world awaits. Set yourself free with completely flexible, self-repaying loan technology. Supported on desktop and mobile, seize the power of Alchemix, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Leverage your wealth without risk of liquidation. Take out a loan that repays itself. By using yield from your deposit to pay off your balance, your only debt is time. What was once inconceivable is now within your grasp. You're winning some. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. We got to start here. Stripe now supports crypto. (laughs) This is a really big deal. Stripe is a payment processing company, provide a whole bunch of APIs, basically the traditional banking system. Uh, we use Stripe on Bankless. Uh, it's a pretty fantastic product overall. I think these guys are doing $8 billion in revenue. They have 4,000 employees, and they are launching support for crypto businesses of all kinds. All sorts of things they're doing here. A uh, crypto-powered fiat payment API. I think what they're doing is basically connecting crypto rails to their existing set of payment APIs. So it's like crypto to bank bridge, mm-hmm. if you will, an on-ramp, if you will. Uh, really cool stuff here. Yeah, when, when Ryan said uh, Stripe is supporting crypto, very like high-level nebulous statement, right? Like what, what does that even mean? They are supporting crypto in like every single way. KYC, Fiat on ramps, exchange like like stablecoin exchanges, t- so like uh, you know credit card to stablecoin transfers, like native wallets. They're doing it all. They're doing it. And this is not just a little bit. This is a lot of it. This is the full. I thing. feel like it, 
It came out of nowhere. It came too. out of nowhere. Just suddenly, bam! Stripes here, and then they re- like all of these products. They just released even NFT marketplaces, right? Yeah, uh, uh, with an identity type of solution. Yeah, so in payments and KYC baked in. Like this is the type of release that gets a lot of like institutions and and you know f- you know businesses who are crypto scared to start being crypto enabled and start being crypto curious yeah. so like oh we can like stripe i'm familiar with stripe i'm familiar with their brand they're they are big on compliance they're big like heavily regulated uh and they're letting me do crypto things uh so i expect this it's, to get a ton of adoption from a lot of businesses that maybe were crypto curious but didn't know how to do it well totally and i i think even an example is for us david so we use a platform for our newsletter called substack mm-hmm. and it you know if if you want to pay in fiat you, you pay Stripe is basically the platform that powers all of Substack. We've been asking Substack forever Ever. to take crypto payments. Forever. It's so simple. Can you take ETH? Can you take it's ERC20s? So like, can you integrate that? And it's always just like, it's too much work. Nope. Like, we just use Stripe. Nope, nope, nope. As somebody who's now, integrated crypto payments into a web app before, it's not that hard. It's not. Yeah. Well, so they didn't want to for whatever reason. Maybe it was regulatory. Maybe it was some additional. But now, if it's incorporated, if it's part of Stripe, you can guess that's going to be a feature that Substack is going to add. And under the covers of probably so many of the services used today, like the Shopify's where you, you like you you buy, you know, clothes, all the retail stuff like e-commerce online, mm-hmm. your your software as a service subscriptions, Stripe is behind the scenes there. And so now what you're going to see over the next few weeks and months is another like pay via crypto type button. And so just as you check out with Stripe, you can just pay via crypto. Like that's what's happening. So this is a this is a massive move because mm-hmm. it's happening at kind of the like the base backend layer mm-hmm. of the internet and how payments work on the internet for all sorts of different websites. And this is just I we call it the DeFi mullet thesis, right? Yep. This is just crypto like getting in the back there mm-hmm. and having fintech that you know the stripes of the world be, be the front end for them. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, we are having uh, the crypto lead at Stripe on the podcast later in the month after. They said we wanted to get them on for this coming Tuesday State of the Nation, and they were like, no, we still have a number of announcements and releases to get out the door. So let's come in about in, a, in, in one month's time after those get released. So there's more coming out of Stripe. <laughs> there, there is your bankless alpha. More coming out of Stripe. That's super impressive. Uh, speaking of impressive, Ave V3, they just launched. What is included in Ave's? Yeah, that deserves applause, guys. Ave V3 is right. here. What's it include, David? Oh, it's got so much stuff, Ryan. A bunch of just like quality of life features and upgrades, I would say. Uh, so it's not like anything, it's, it's still a money market. That didn't change, but like basically everything under the hood has gotten a, an improvement. So uh, you can do cross-chain transactions. So Aave is going to be on basically every single EVM chain, whether it's a roll-up or another L1. Uh, and you can go from Aave to Aave to Aave directly through the web app through these thing called portal. Uh, they also have what they're calling high efficiency mode, which just unlocks more capital efficiency, more borrowing power, uh, isolation mode, which allows assets to get listed. That doesn't have, um, second or third order consequences to the rest of the Aave markets. So maybe some high risk token comes in, but they don't want the, the, uh, the collateral backing that thing to have contagion risk to the rest of the market. Uh, so they have kind of like, you know, compartmentalized markets. That's cool. More gas 
optimizations, which they say are reducing gas by 20 to 5 to 50, or 20 to 25 percent, um, and uh, additional like risk management tools and uh, various things like that. So you can read more in their blog, uh, and or just go ahead and use Aave V3 on on uh, any of your preferred layer twos. It's actually not on Ethereum mainnet yet, though. That's kind of the last they're getting to. So their 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 deployment approach is super interesting. They mm-hmm. they hit all of the alternative uh, layer ones that have EVM support, so the phantoms and the avalanches and the harmonies of the world, and then also the layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism, and uh, and Polygon. But they've not yet deployed on Ethereum mainnet. They're almost using these these other. Um, uh, you know, side chains and layer twos as uh, kind of a not quite a test environment, but their their initial release environment before they deploy to Ethereum. But the cool thing about this too is right out of the gate, you can access Aave V3 on uh, one inch Paraswap, Zerion, which you talked about earlier, Zapper, DBank, any other interface you use and uh, wallet you use. So it's like a quick roll up and a rollout and deployment here, which is really awesome to see. But they weren't the only ones no. that just released a point upgrade. So Alchemix V2 is here. Yes. We like it. We like it. Should we go into uh, Alchemix V2? V2 is cool. Yeah, tell us. Because there's just more uh, vaults, I would say, I, I think is the big upgrade. Like, uh, there, you have different uh, possibilities with the collaterals that you want to put into Alchemix. So V2 allows for the arbitrary number of collateral tokens and also new yield strategies. So you get to pick your own collateral and you get to pick your own yield strategy so you can kind of custom fit how the Alchemix protocol works from you. Uh, token adapters are written and audited for V2 and they can add an ever-increasing selection of yield providers for your deposits on Alchemix. So Alchemix uses Yearn to get yield, but now they are also opening up direct markets into Aave or into Compound so you can source your yield from a specific part of DeFi with a specific stablecoin. Uh, and so just a lot more composability and a lot more um, uh, just user power. Uh, and that's what these applications are supposed to do is bestow power upon the users. And that's what Alchemix V2 what's, is all what, about. What's the high level for what Alchemix does for people mm. who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so it is a, a loan. It's a it's like you can get your interest payments paid to you up front. So you can advance. You, you put stable coins in and then you can borrow stable coins against your stable coins. And the stable coins that you deposited earn yield. And they just like, it's kind of like a proxy for yearn, right? So like right now, like yearn's like 3%, you put a, a, like $10,000 into into Alchemix uh, and you get that 3% because it's yield farming your stable coins in yearn. But then Alchemix lets you borrow up to 50% of your deposited stable coins. And so you put, it, put like $10,000 in, you can uh, borrow $5,000 and go do whatever with it while that $10,000 is earning yield in DeFi. What you can also do is you can take that $5,000 that you borrowed from Alchemix and you can put it back into Alchemix. So you can get off of $10,000 of deposits, you can get like $15,000 worth of stablecoin yield. So it's a way to juice up your yield. You can also do this with ETH, um, but it's basically a way to get your, your so that like $5,000 that you borrowed, uh, I mean, you you'd lock up, you, you lock up $10,000, but that's like technically $5,000 of interest payments that are paid to you up front that you can go yeah, do stuff with. It's something you can't do in the real world, right? right? Because totally. like it's the ability to pull forward all of these interest payments mm-hmm. and receive it in one lump sum right. and then go do whatever you, what, whatever you want mm-hmm. in that lump sum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty wild, um, pretty cool. Okay, so uh, Coinbase, they are also testing f- uh, fee-free trading. Yeah, this is actually kind apparently. of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So what's this uh, this subtitle here? I think is important. Trading fees have historically 
historically made up the bulk of Coinbase's revenue, but they're trying to diversify it, their business lines. So no longer being dependent on fees for trading and, and switching out their, their business model a little bit. What do you think this means? Yeah, the trading fees, transaction fees on, on exchanges has always been the dominant source of revenue for everything. FTX, Coinbase, Gemini, like, like basis points of fees on the trade. Uh, but I mean, this, the crypto industry is so hyper competitive that these fees have compressed, especially as more and more exchanges have come online and really competed with each other. And so like, what is the ultimate form of compression is going to zero, but then instead the way that you get revenue is by subs uh, charging a subscription model. So this is a subscription model. You can now subscribe to Coinbase in order to get fee free trading. This has actually been in the works for a while and they finally released it. But I bet you this is not going to be the last time that we see a subscription model for exchanges so you can get fee-free fee trading. That's kind of a hard thing to say. I hope I don't have it's, to say that It was times. hard to say, man. Yeah. <laughs> fee-free trading. <laughs> um, this is something new as well. Crypto sleuthing firm Chainalysis. Sleuthing You've heard firm. us talk about them before. That's a good term for what they are is basically they, they look at the blockchain, all of these transactions. They, they try to de-anonymize de it. And yeah, they basically they sell it to government agencies or exchanges, whoever else needs to know. They are launching sanctions screening tools mm -hmm. for DeFi for DAOs. Sanctions screening tools. This headline makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. I do not love this headline. Okay, so there, there's two uh, products that they've released. One is on-chain, one's off-chain. Uh, so the off-chain one is an API designed for web and mobile apps and web servicers. Users can receive an API key, which they can check if an address of interest is on the sanctions list or not. So basically you get to automate, like, hey, this is Ethereum address just signed up for my web app. Is it on the sanctions list? And Coinbase or uh, Chainalysis can come back and say yes or no. You can also, they also are offering an on-chain Oracle for smart contracts. So smart contracts can basically have the same checks, like smart contracts, like money just gets deposited into, into a smart contract. That smart contract pings the Chainalysis uh, uh, on-chain Oracle and says, hey, is this, is this address on the, API, uh, the, the sanctions list? And the, the smart contract Oracle on Ethereum will ping you yes or no. Um, how do you feel about that, Ryan? I feel terrible. I think it's terrible. I, I hate this. Yeah. I hate that this exists. Now, of course, like protocols can, you know, uh, pr protocols aren't necessarily integrating this, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there can be wallets that integrate it uh, or, or choose not to. But I feel like this gives the uh, surveillance state and like the sanction state another way to basically mandate things in DeFi. Yeah. So what if you can't really have a non-custodial uh, crypto wallet service like a MetaMask located in the U.S. unless it is doing this, you know, sanction checking with Chainalysis, unless it has that feature, and then it's very easy for like third parties, government states, to create a list of ETH addresses that are blacklisted for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's for a good reason, maybe it's not for a good reason, uh, and once they do that, then that can like be pushed out into some of the DeFi tools that, that we have today. Of course, they can't get this at the base layer. They can't get this into the smart contract code of a Uniswap, for example. They can't get this into Ethereum. Um, but it's not it's not great. I, I you know, and it's not surprising to me that chain analysis would see this as a massive opportunity. But um, I guess AML DeFi is 
coming this year. Like it's, Sweet. it's probably here. Sick. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yep. I'm joking, obviously, uh, take for, for, for listeners who want a hypothetical scenario, take for example, how, uh, people were asking, uh, crypto exchanges to deplatform Russian, uh, customers, uh, in compliance with sanctions, uh, and then Co- uh, Coinbase and, and others actually ended up doing it. Like in theory, you could see that same thing where uh, all Russian users coming from Russian IP address or have Russian KYC uh, get added to a sanctions list. And like it's parts of DeFi are like, oh, are, are, do you have a Russian address? Because we know of that because of how you signed up for this centralized service. Uh, well, now you're on the sanctions list. So any sort of DeFi app that integrates with Chainalysis is now giving over powers towards nation like nation state governance and so like the only way the only way around this i see david is privacy like on the base layer it's like privacy services or l2 privacy like it's the only way around this because if chain analysis can derive the identity of certain addresses they will Mm -hmm. and then they will propagate that into the rest of DeFi infrastructure yeah and i've always been conflicted about chain analysis just because like well it's it's basically like the teacher's pet of the government it's like the 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 narc in the room that asks for the the, reminds the teacher that they forgot to collect the homework uh like and but also at the same time like if not chain analysis like it would just be another different surveillance company like the the, the value of who's going to be the snoop of the blockchain is going to be captured by someone. So this like inevitable, when you have public blockchains, somebody's going to make a business around breaking everyone else's privacy about it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to like it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that is the next b- battle that crypto will have to fight yep. is privacy on the base layer yep. and different, different, uh, solutions for that. So which we have plenty we- of, so I have no long term fears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aztec for one, I think a lot of this will be built out on layer two. Maybe that's mm. some more content we'll have to put together in the future, David. Yeah. But uh, enough of that for now. Let's talk about uh, Volts. What are they doing with uh, the Uniswap community? Yeah, Volts is a, is a DeFi primitive that is trying to bring interest rate swaps to DeFi. Um, kind of similar to Element Finance, uh, but with a very different um, construction. But inside of the Volts um, uh, architecture is the need for something like Uniswap V3, concentrated liquidity. Uh, but Uniswap V3 has a license. Uh, and so they have offered 1 per, 1% of Volts tokens to access Uniswap V3 code inside of the Volts architecture, to which Uniswap governance gave an overwhelming support of yes. So uh, Volts requested permission from Uniswap to use the Uniswap V3 license code uh, for 1% of Volts tokens, and that got approved, which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. That's kind of an interesting collaboration, uh, for sure. Uh, all right, David, let's switch gears. Let's talk about raises this week. The first one, mm-hmm. Coinbase. They just raised $450 million on a $7 billion valuation. This is mostly on the back of MetaMask, which be. just topped 30 million users. Uh, pretty big valuation for consensus, though. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I thought this is like the third raise of the year for consensus. Like they are just yeah. like pulling it in, like coming out of the depths of the bear market, like really turned it around because for those that weren't around during the bear market, the consensus laid off a ton of people because basically Joe Lubin was selling like 20% ETH. or something, oh, right? That's it. I thought it was more than that. Uh, 20, 30% something. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I thought this, it was interesting that like in one of their tweets, they said like in this raise, uh, a lot of uh, some of this money is going to be uh, saved to specifically buy ultrasound money. 
is what they called it. <laughs> All proceeds from this round will be converted to ETH to further build Consensus's ultrasound money position as a rebalance to rebalance its That's ETH awesome. to fiat ratio in lines with Consensus's treasury strategy. So they drained their ETH treasury in 2018 Gotta trying to fund the company and now they're buying it back uh so like they were kind of the reason why eth went to 80 dollars um and but now they're buying it back at whatever the price is now two thousand eight hundred dollars yeah and they're doing some great work too with uh obviously with metamask and some of these things so i'm glad they continue to be to be well funded uh all right speaking of well-funded raises here's another one optimism they just raised at a uh, over one billion dollar valuation i'm not sure how much the valuation is here david but optimism of course a evm compatible layer two pretty awesome that they're getting funded as well. Oh, not just EVM compatible, Ryan, but EVM equivalent. Uh, a six, $1.65 billion valuation, Paradigm and A16Z. Uh, and Optimism uh, uh, is, a the, the, like I said, the EVM equivalent version of an optimistic rollup, which has a bunch of tailwind effects because you get to strap into the network effects of Ethereum itself because the difference between Optimism and, and Ethereum is trying to be reduced down to the bare minimum. And they're also having a very uh, public goods ethos aligned culture with Ethereum itself. So here's a quote from Jing, the CEO. We are making revenue out of the uh, sequencing for, for the optimism layer two. We're giving all of that revenue back towards funding public goods on Ethereum. We don't want to say that we want to, uh, want to be decentralized. We also want to show the community that we're setting up our own incentives to be compatible with that. So they are innovating on this thing called retroactive public goods funding. Uh, and if you want to learn more about that, we actually did a show. Uh, I did a show with, um, with Austin Griffith where we unpacked public goods funding. So there's more details all about that there. Uh, everyone's really hyped about optimism. Really nice to see them getting get the funding to take their project for the rest of the way because it's super, super ambitious uh, and they deserve it all. Uh, Starkware next uh, at six billion dollar valuation. They just raised a um, let's see, hundred million dollars after just receiving a fifty dollar a fifty million dollar valuation. That was just a, a few months ago at a two billion dollar valuation Series C. That was in November. Uh, so <laughs> layer twos continue to be well funded. Um, Solana. Uh, based NFT, uh, an NFT marketplace on Solana called Eden just raised a $27 million Series A. This feels kind of like the the open sea mm -hmm. of Solana. Filling that niche. Uh, yeah. yeah, filling that niche. They've got like 90% of market share of, of NFTs on Solana. What's interesting about this, I think, is the question of will every single independent uh, chain and ecosystem, may, maybe layer two, will they have their own category winners and sets of apps? Will they, they have their own open seas, their own, you know, Uniswaps, automated market makers, their own Aves that are separate and distinct from the ones that have won out on Ethereum? What do you think about that? Uh, well, I know for a fact that OpenSea shall be integrating Solana in the future. Uh, and so maybe there's like the, the niche NFT marketplaces, like the the uh, indie NFT marketplaces that are specific to the chain that like the chain loyalists like, and then there's going to be open. So it, you're predicting some kind of a convergence there. Then it's like yeah. basically the the category winners on Ethereum, the EVM ecosystems will go tackle all of these other chains one by one and, and go to war with these uh, you know these these local winners mm -hmm. in every single chain. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to see. Probably some consolidation there too, as uh, as that all plays out. Uh, a new layer one has just been funded as well. A two hundred million dollar strategic investment led by A16Z, Katie Hahn, uh, Multicoin, of course, 
Three Arrows Capital, FTX Ventures, Coinbase Ventures, all in a new layer one called Aptos. This layer one is actually spun out of some of the initiatives, the early days of um, the, the Libra and Diem project from, from Facebook, now called Meta. They were talking about releasing an entirely separate chain. And they actually uh, developed a whole bunch, of, like put together a whole bunch of work. There's a whole project, open source projects about this, a whole tech stack. That project is now kind of end of life. But this team, this Aptos team, is sort of picking that up, up where Facebook left off, and they're trying to bring another layer one to market. Um, how many times do you think this play can work, David? Another layer one, like. Are we just going to have new layer ones pop up every every couple of years or so? What's what's happening here? Uh, this once again reminds me of when people were still issuing ICOs like three quarters into 2018 after it was so obvious that it was the ICO mania was over. So Ryan, this is three now well, three points towards the bear market thesis. It's too late in the cycle to be raising money for an L for a new L1, especially one that came out of Libra slash DM, which never even got off the ground in the first place. Uh, and so I think they're just raising money off that branding, but that is just my anti L new L1 take, I guess. I, uh, I read Kyle Samani's post on Multicoin yeah. about this and Monolith it was, coin. it, it just, re- well, look, man, it reminded me a lot of his, uh, the pieces he's written about Solana yeah. and the virtues of Solana, which is interesting to me. And the one thing I will say is I don't think any of these VCs or investors have a lot of chain loyalty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. I think that they are buying block space, buying L1 narratives, buying things that that will pump. Um, but all I would say is like retail beware. And of course, retail can't get in on this coin right now. But in the future, I don't know, some of these supply lock, like uh, coin lockups and stuff, some of the, I don't, I don't know how sustainable this is. And we can't just have like, layer one after layer one after layer one, unless we get some real traction. Now, yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, um, seems to be just something we've, we've, we, we see like a new layer one launches, a bunch of VCs pile in. It's going to be the future. Um, although I will say in 2021, some of those, Worked some out. of those chains did take off Worked in some, out. you know, in big ways. So who knows? Maybe Chain loyalty another... and VCs. Can those go together? I don't think so. I, I think that like they're not aligned. It's not compatible. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this. Hex Trust. They just raised eighty-eight million dollars. What is Hex Trust? Uh, Hex Trust. Eighty-eight million dollars for a gaming ecosystem. Uh, eighty-eight million dollars for a brand new uh, ecosystem. Not not a small number. Um, found it was co-led by Anomica Brands and Liberty City Ventures, and never heard of them before. Uh, Series B will use to scale to Europe and Middle East to obtain additional licenses in gaming. Uh, uh, Hex Trust currently has over 100 employees across offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, and Vietnam. Uh, and yeah, haven't heard of any of this. Yeah, neither have I. Moving on. Um, jobs time. Jobs. It's our time to tell to ask you whether you've gotten a job in crypto yet. And to remind you, if you haven't, there's a fantastic jobs board. I'm going to read out some jobs for you. The first is... Wow, a bankless web developer. Whoa. We are looking for a web developer as well. How crazy is we it that we don't have do. a website, Ryan? <laughs> I, we have a website. I actually put it together and it's terrible. <laughs> Aside from the newsletter, we have like a really ugly, terrible Placeholder. website. And we need a new one and we need a web developer to help. We also need an editor of the bankless newsletter. 
uh, a senior product manager of Bankless Academy, a senior product manager for Super Rare. We've got a quantitative analyst of risk at MakerDAO, a risk analyst at MakerDAO as well, full stack engineer at Kazilla, a product manager at Kazilla as well, a whole bunch more at the Bankless Jobs website. Look, if you're not into any of those specific jobs, the other thing you can do is go check out the Bankless Talent Collective and submit your resume. So you just fill out a talent profile and you get connected with companies. If you're a company looking for talent, there's already 200 plus resumes, Web3 resumes on the Bankless Talent Collective. You can tap into that as well if you are looking for talent and uh, and subscribe. This is a pretty cool new initiative that we've just spun up recently. Yeah. Bankless has got both sides of the job market. We've got the supply and the demand. Coming up next out of the Bankless ecosystem, the Bankless dating app. <laughs> no, never. Uh, I don't know how much demand there will be. There might be a lot of supply, though. <laughs> Let's talk news, David. Merge so, week. Merge it's week. Merge week. It's, it's the moment you've been waiting for. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't sleep on the merge. This is a post you wrote. So mm-hmm. people are predicting the merge in three months we, we didn't necessarily fully double down on a June date, right. but we're pretty excited. We're pretty bullish that June could be the month that the merge comes. Part of this was uh, a set of reasons given by Superfiz, mm-hmm. who's very plugged into the ETH staking community and that world. What are the reasons why a merge could happen, the Ethereum merge could happen in, uh, in June? And maybe, David, should we back up and just explain what the merge is for, for people who haven't been listening to recent Bankless episodes? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Ethereum, currently proof of work, has also 100% always committed to eventually transition to proof of stake. We have the proof of stake chain, that's what the beacon chain is, that's been running since early 2021. Uh, and that thing has just been chugging along, making sure that's totally fine. And one day we will swap out the proof of work and plug in the beacon chain, which is the proof of stake chain, to the current execution environment of Ethereum. And proof of work will go away and proof of stake will replace it. That's the merge. We're merging the chains and stripping out proof of work. And so when this actually happens is completely unknown because it's only going to happen when it's ready. It's ready when it's ready. But we get to also observe, because this is an open environment, we get to observe the Ethereum developers and kind of hypothesize about when it might be ready. So that's what Superfizz did. Uh, He's pulled in five different tidbits of information that indicate the strong likelihood of a June merge date. The first one being there's a planned difficulty bomb coming in mid-June. Difficulty bomb is something that's always been in Ethereum. Basically, we we plan in the destruction of the chain uh, because it forces us to make progress. Every now and then we have to kick it back. Uh, Actually, that's been basically Ethereum culture since the beginning of time is we just kick it back by having a hard fork it gives us an opportunity to add in new EIPs and stuff like that and kick back the difficulty bomb. There's a difficulty bomb coming in June, which means we will be hard forking sometime by, the, by mid-June, regardless of the merge or not, because we need to kick back the difficulty bomb. Right, Danny Ryan, who's coordinating the the ETH two, uh, not ETH two, the the uh, transition from proof of stake work Ethereum to proof of stake Ethereum, has signaled that a delay in the bomb is not needed, which means that perhaps this the merge can happen before the bomb happens, which happens in the mid June. Uh, there's also the merge readiness checklist is getting more and more checkboxes in it, uh, and also there was a, a conversation in the all core devs call about potentially kicking back uh, some development in the in the merge by ten days. And a lot of devs got really picky about that. They didn't like the delay at all. And so devs are getting picky about the date. And last but definitely not least, the Kiln testnet is actually testing the merge. So we are having.
building test environments for pra we are practicing the merge. The merge is being practiced actively. And so barring any significant unforeseen issues with all of these little tidbits of data, June looks like the most likely candidate for the merge, which I'm really yeah. excited about. Well, that's super cool. Oops. And uh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, stop doing so, that. <laughs> what would the merge mean, David? So like, what, what does it mean? You, you talked about the mm -hmm. disappearance of proof of work, mm -hmm. but what does it mean for issuance as well? I think that's part of the story. here. Yeah. So people who are staking their ETH on the beacon chain, they're earning a very respectable 4.8% in ETH denominated yield, not even stablecoin yield, but ETH yield. And then once this uh, roughly 10.5 million ETH out of the roughly 118 million total supply of ETH, once that uh, staked ETH merges with a proof of work chain, that yield goes from where it is now at 4.8% to somewhere between 10 to 15%, depending on gas fees. So that is a two to three X in yield on ether. And so that's a two to three X incentive, strong incentive to stake more ETH. Uh, and so there's going to be a demand to take your ETH, perhaps out of the secondary market, and to stake it to get that 10 to 15% ETH denominated yield. And at the same time, the new issuance of Ether, this is one of the one of the best features about proof of stake, the new issuance of Ether is dropping by 90%. So currently, uh, 12,000 Ether is minted per day. To, sp to spend towards proof-of-work mining. Proof-of-work, very, very capital-intensive. It takes a lot of money to fund security and proof-of-work. But post-merge, that goes from 12,000 down to 1,280. So uh, a 90% reduction in the Ether issuance, but not only a 90% reduction, Ryan, but also a 100% reduction in operational costs because ETH staking and proof-of-stake costs nothing after you have an internet connection and a consumer hardware laptop computer, a normal computer. So we're basically, we're going from 12 ether to, uh, in daily issuance to 1,280 and thousands and thousands of ether in daily sell pressure to cover the operational cost of proof of work down to zero. So the big questions that I asked the bankless nation, how much more ether will be staked as a result of the increase in yield, the two to three X in yield? Where will that ether come from since a lot of the regular selling pressure is going to be eliminated? And what is the price going to do as a result? And all of these answers are likely coming in June because we all get to experience it for ourselves. Yeah. This is, this is definitely the biggest event, uh, the biggest crypto event of 2022. Maybe the I biggest- I would say ever. Uh, right? I, I would say I mean, ever. It's like, it's like, um, it's a triple happening. Other it's, than the, the Genesis block of Ethereum itself, this is the most significant event since that. Right. And so this is now, now we've got uh, bullish David back, I think, for, for, for the Plus moment. Plus one he's to the bullish the side. We got three for the bear. We got one for the bull. Well, I mean, this is in incredibly bullish, but there was something that uh, that happened in the mm. testnet as well. There was a, a block proposal failure, some yeah. bug in the kiln testnet. So that could set things back, possibly. Yeah. That's possibly. a question to you. Mm -hmm. What happened with this bug, and um, you know what? What does that mean for the merge date? Yeah, at the start of the uh, the article, I said, barring any significant unforeseen issue, it's increasingly likely that we see the merge in June. And then three days later, there was a bug in the testnet. <laughs> uh, what happened was that the uh, Prism client, uh, the way the way that the merge works is that people have to run both an Ethereum proof of work chain client and, a, and an Ethereum beacon chain client. So Prism is the proof of stake beacon chain client. And then 
Prism plus Geth and and Prism plus Nethermind, these combinations stopped pr- uh, producing blocks, which accounted for 15 to 20 percent of the total block supply. Uh, because Ethereum has a multi-client architecture, this actually did not impact the testnet. But if it had been more than 33%, it would have. So 15 to 20% kind of dangerously close. Also, Prism in its current implementation on the Beacon chain has more than 66% of total total supply of the new blocks. The client that's responsible for more than 66% of the blocks. So that is a concern. We need to get Prism dominance in the Beacon chain down for that to be safe. Um, The bug was relatively trivially identified and fixed, but it perhaps was indicative of more time and research needed to, to understand that this thing is going to be stable. Uh, the significance is going to be unpacked and talked about during the Ethereum All Core Devs Call, which is happening tomorrow, which is today for the listener, Friday. Uh, and so if you want to tune in to whether or not this actually does impact the merge, uh, you can turn into the All Core Devs Call. Another, um, I guess, reason why we need multiple clients, because yeah. this sort of saved the testnet in, in this case, but it's also a reason why we need client diversity uh-huh. on, on mainnet as well and staking diversity across multiple clients. Hey, Ryan, can you name me a different blockchain other than Ethereum that has multiple clients? Well, David, I think there's probably none besides yeah, that's Ethereum exactly that has multiple right. clients. That's exactly right. That's, <laughs> Ethereum is the only one with a multi-client <laughs> architecture. Which is ridiculous. Oh. We're supposed to be decentralized. We've got some more <laughs> trivia here too. And mm-hmm. this is maybe a question for you, even though you probably maybe you probably mm-hmm. already know the answer to this. How much newly minted ETH will validators be able to sell after the merge, but before the withdrawals hard fork? So just to set up that question, newly minted ETH, okay, not existing stake. Because I, I'm, I'm fairly uh, certain people know that once they stake their ETH, they can't withdraw it right now until there's a hard fork that adds some withdraw functionality. But we're talking about newly issued ETH. So that's after you stake your ETH, you get some return denominating ETH, that newly issued ETH. When will you actually be able to sell that newly issued ETH, David? No, no. Do you the, know the answer to that? Wait, no. Oh, actually, the, not, not when will you be able to sell it, but uh, how much, excuse me, newly minted ETH will validators be able to sell post the merge? So let's say the merge happens in June. After that date in June and July and August, they're receiving new issuance of ETH. Mm -hmm. How much will they be able to sell of that ETH, David? Uh, The answer is zero, Ryan. Yes, uh, <laughs> you are correct. Okay, ding. So, so d- ding. So it's just to, just to unpack that a little bit. Right now, you can go stake your ether on the Beacon Chain. You send your ether to the Beacon Chain contract. New that ether on the current chain is burned. More in that ether on the Beacon Chain is minted. You stake that ether. You start earning that ether yield on the Beacon Chain. Then the merge happens, and then that Beacon Chain uh, is then securing the Ethereum Chain. Proof of work is stripped out, but withdrawals are not yet enabled yet. There is a new, there's another hard fork that needs to happen to enable withdrawals, and that's hypothesized to be roughly six months after. So after the merge, the ETH issuance into the validators won't be withdrawal, withdrawable for six months, which means zero new Ether will be introduced into the market for like six months after the merge. Zero. What we're, say, what zero. we're saying is, to be clear, ETH issuance doesn't just drop by 90%. It drops to 100%. Temporarily. For some period of time. For some period of and, time. And that that like additional ten percent issuance is almost like it's it's almost like vested. It's mm-hmm. locked up. Yeah. It cannot be sold. Cannot be spent. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going from like four point two five percent, four point five percent issuance mm-hmm. to zero percent issuance right. 
for at least six months. Plus, plus the burn, and, <laughs> plus the burn. Okay, but then, the but then, why, De- devil's why are more advocate. people talking about this? Well, devil's advocate, though, because like we're okay. just we're just locking locking up the rewards for six months while we just make sure that everything's okay. And eventually, it'll get unlocked, and then and then you might say like, well, then there's just pent up demand to sell because they've just been earning all this ETH for six months, and they're just going to sell it all at once. But the thing is. ETH staking goes up to 10 to 15%. And so all of the people that are have their Ether on the main Ethereum chain that never decided to bridge over to the Beacon chain and they because they never wanted to spin up an ETH1 validator, that 10 to 15% is going to cause a huge influx of more stake for people to get that yield. And so not only is zero net new Ether going to come into existence, the gravitational pull of 10 to 15% ETH denominated yield is going to pull in so much more more ETH. So even when the the withdrawals hard fork is enabled, the incentive to still be staking is going to be so strong, I could totally see that that just becoming a non-event in terms of the ETH price and dumping on the secondary supply. Look, uh, supply crunch is what this means. A massive supply crunch is happening this year. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm really shocked that more people aren't talking about it. Um, you heard it it here. You heard it here. Now that's going to happen potentially in the midst of this like crab sideways crypto bear market. World war (laughs) three, right? Like who knows? So it's going to happen in, in that context It's not necessarily going to happen during like hype season of, uh, you know, early spring 2021 uh so we will see how that plays out uh, rocket pool continuing to add more features and functionality here they have a new uh staking interface with a bunch of improvements including a wallet panel transaction estimates more intuitive uh, exchange rates on the RETH, and a lot more so go check that out there's all sorts of great um, staking services uh, as well. If if you don't want to run your own validator, Rocket Pool being probably one of the the most decentralized. Lido being Certainly. another one that's a little less uh, decentralized, but is still doing better than than staking in exchange. And you 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 gave this tweet. You you put out this tweet, David. The drum roll roll for the merge has begun. Is that what you heard this week? Was it the drum roll? Yeah, especially in the second half of the week. So it's just like people are just. The, the merge is getting a bunch of engagement on Twitter. That seems to be, in my mind, like the thing that has captured the attention of people as, as the, the, NF, the attention from the NFTs and gaming and all that stuff is gone. People have refocused on the fundamentals of this industry, which are is the merge. Uh, so the drum roll is, I mean, we're three plus months out, but like the merge is here. The merge is, the drum roll is happening. And when you say when you say people, we're talk we're talking primarily about crypto people, like crypto, crypto people, Twitter yeah. people. None of this is broken outside into yeah. mainstream yet. I mean, right? honestly, like, most of the crypto industry doesn't even understand this. <laughs> I, I I totally agree with that. Yeah. At least they're talking about it now. The drum roll for the merge is definitely started, at least with the inner circle of Ethereum people who really, really pay attention to this stuff and and then also the people that pay attention to that. But we got three months to go. There's going to be a lot of conversations. There's going to be a lot of content. We're Bankless is going to report on all of it. Uh, and it's just, I think it's going to be a very, very fun time, Ryan, because uh, I think I think it's East season. I think East season has, has started once again. Uh, and it's been it's my favorite season. Uh, and we're going to talk about it every step of the way until the merge. Yeah, what we didn't tell you, it's not only merge uh, week, but this week lasts many months, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the next few months, we're going to be talking about the merge. It's just a, a huge An deal. Mm-hmm. Inevitability, and most people in crypto do not appreciate this. I think this is a massive alpha for you. Whether it's a bear market or a bull market in crypto, this mm-hmm. is a massive event to watch. Um, let's talk about 
L2s for a minute and the path to roll up decentralization. So something that not everyone knows uh, is that every major layer two project right now, anyway, in its current state has a trusted party, which can execute protocol upgrades, right? And that is intentional. There is a back door, uh, to upgrade these layer twos in the event of a bug. And some layer twos have already used this to patch things before, like, uh, before there was a catastrophic issue. And so this is sort of a feature at this stage, not a bug. But if it persists into the future forever, then it becomes a bug. Because as long as there is a trusted third party that can execute protocol updates, the layer two is not completely decentralized. So the Optimism team wrote a fantastic post about how rollups move forward, how they decentralize over time, how they get rid of these access keys. They, um, they use the analogy of like throwing the ring into Mountain Doom, throwing the keys into Mountain Doom so that it would be burnt up and, and no one could access it before uh, any longer and the chain would be fully decentralized. Um, what would you say is the path, not just for optimism here, but like optimism summary on what rollups need to do in order to get rid of this security hole in the future after they harden their chain. What's the path to, to making the rollups fully decentralized with no, you know, upgrade access for the core team? Yeah, no trust, no centralization, right. I, earlier I talked about uh, how optimism strategy has always been EVM equivalence, not just EVM compatibility, but EVM equivalence. Uh, and there's also been like the narrative just like EVM is kind of at the center of the universe, you know, avalanche, uh, all these EVM compatible chains, they're not Ethereum, but they are the EVM. Uh, and so EVM equivalence is really, really important. And so basically optimism, I think is going to take a leaf out of Ethereum's book of which it is a fractal off of and kind of follow the Ethereum roadmap for decentralization. And that involves, uh, rather than having one canonical client for optimism, having many, many clients for optimism. And then, and then, and then after enough, uh, sufficient multi-client, uh, architecture gets built out, then it's just a matter of handing over, like first off, calcifying in the same way that Ethereum is slowly, slowly having longer and longer hard forks and longer and longer updates. Uh, the same kind of thing needs to happen with Optimism L2s, uh, where just like things need to change less and less and less over time and give more and more power back to the community. I think it's going to be interesting to see if like Optimism or Optimistic L2s retain some sort of upgradable path via the token, via on-chain governance in ways that Ethereum does not. But each the, the nice thing is, is that you could spin up an Optimism layer two and have one with on-chain governance and one without. Uh, but the idea is that Ethereum can, itself has kind of laid out the, the roadmap to how you decentralize. Uh, and layer twos probably are going to just have to take a leaf out of Ethereum's book and follow in that path. Yeah, there's no shortcuts to this, I think is the main message, but th there is there is a pattern, right? It's like you have to ossify the underlying protocol. You have to have multiple clients, make it decentralized. You have to create sort of a you know, a specification that other teams can build towards. So that's one, not just one unified team. And once these things are in place, then you can toss those private keys into Mount Doom, into the, into the lava and, and burn them forever. But doing it before then is... Um, not a good idea, right? Yeah. We need that flexibility. We need that upgrade path so that we can solve these processes. Like all of these layer twos are basically in a, a beta version uh, until that time. Um, let's talk a bit more about Optimism. So they are releasing Canon, Canon. which is uh, next-gen fraud-proof architecture that's coming soon. What is uh, What does that mean, next-gen fraud 
proof architecture. Yeah, the the fault the fault proof uh, architecture is is one of the Optimism's big missing components, which is no longer missing because they released Canon. Uh, and this particular fault proof implementation, the way that it's designed, is a reflection of the Optimism's design philosophy. And I talk about this design philosophy kind of summarized in a, in a tweet where I say, Optimism's design philosophy has always been reduce, reduce, reduce. And what I really mean by that is reduce complexity, reduce the number of codes, and that optimizes optionality. When you reduce complexity, you can actually push complexity elsewhere. Uh, and so kind of like Ethereum itself, optimism is very modular, as in this uh, Canon uh, fault proof is a modular component of the greater optimism layer two. Uh, and so this simplicity optimizes for modularity and efficiency, which ultimately creates security. Uh, and uh, one of the hot lines in this article is, oh, it also enables the theoretical minimum of call data gas costs, uh, which you just, you know, music to my ears when it comes to speed and, and uh, gas efficiency on, on layer two. Uh, and so if you, are, if you are technically minded and want to hear more about Optimism's fault-proof Canon architecture, uh, you can go click the link in the show notes for more details. Reduce, reduce, reduce. This is also a leaf out of Ethereum's book where mm. there's you know, so many efforts to reduce the, the beacon chain specification to right. the minimum amount of code necessary. Exactly. Uh, it's definitely important on this journey as well. Uh, so is getting exchanges to on-ramp and off-ramp to your layer two and Huobi Global, they just added optimism withdrawal functionality and features. So this is a path that all rollups are going to take. Uh, and... Uh, it's cool to see uh, optimism like leading the way down that path too. All right, David, let's talk about the biggest acquisition in NFT history, the apes, but the punks, David. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. I'm looking at a punk in your background uh -huh. right mm -hmm. now, but Yuga Labs purchased all of the intellectual property, I believe, from um, from Labs. the CryptoPunks holders, yeah. uh, Larva Labs. Mm -hmm. Yuga and Larva, they, they purchased all the intellectual property from Larva Labs. Tell us what this means. So what is this purchase? What's the significance of it? And uh, what does it mean for the NFT ecosystem mm -hmm. and for the, the, the punks and the um, Bored Apes community? Yeah, Carly Riley over at Overpriced JPEGs tweeted out a few months ago, I wonder when uh, NFT uh, companies or NFT studios are going to start buying the IP from other NFT companies or other NFT studios. And I'm pretty sure when she tweeted that, she meant like, you know, some of the B-list NFTs, not necessarily the Board Ape Yacht Club founders buying CryptoPunks, the OG NFT. So the magnitude of this is absolutely crazy. Uh, and not, not just CryptoPunks, but also MeBits, which also came out of Larva Labs. Uh, and so for every NFT project, there is IP associated with it. Uh, there's licenses. Uh, and the CryptoPunks, again, the one that I have in, in the back of my, back of my living room here, the, the IP for CryptoPunk was actually not owned by the owners of the CryptoPunks. It was still owned by Larva Labs. So like commercial licenses was not something that you could do with CryptoPunks. That was actually one of the reasons that's always been the case behind Bored Apes is that the Bored Ape holders had the rights to use their own Bored Ape commercially if they so choose. This is, this is Creative Commons Open or CCO, I believe is, is what that's called. Uh, but double check me on that. Um, 
And so now Yuga Labs, which are the founders behind Bored Apes and Mutant Apes and that whole ecosystem, uh, struck a deal with Larva Labs to acquire the IP. And when they did, they gave the punk holders the rights to their own commercial licenses for their punk. So I can start start going out and making merch and branding out of my CryptoPunk if I so choose. Uh, like I already have a brand around me and my CryptoPunk because I put my CryptoPunk as my profile picture on Twitter. But now I could go and start making like, I don't know, a movie where my CryptoPunk is featured if I so choose, and I would have well, my I, own commercial ask, rights to that. Why didn't Larva Labs do that? Larva why Labs... have been holding that, it? That's a good question. I don't... I, Larva Labs has always been uh, builders and not necessarily marketers. They like on-chain experiments. They like fooling around on the blockchain, doing cool, innovative new things. They, like I said, they weren't just the founders of CryptoPunks. They also did Mevits. They also did Autoglyphs. They are tinkerers and innovators at the chain level, where Yuga Labs are brand experts and, and just like experts in growing the, the value of an ecosystem. And that's just something that Larva Labs was never really interested in. So some punk holders are a little bit concerned because the climate and culture in Bored Apes is nothing like the culture around CryptoPunks. Uh, CryptoPunks kind of think the Bored Apes are kind of cringe, and I'm definitely one of those people. Um, but, uh, but, and so like people are worried that Yuga Labs is gonna give CryptoPunks the same treatment that they gave the Bored Apes. Like, you know, yachts and things of that nature that are kind of against the CryptoPunk ethos. Like, it's really actually hard to tie down CryptoPunks. They're, they're very, very decentralized. Different been, cultures. Different cultures, yeah. Uh, and so the, some of the punk holders are concerned about that, as in we don't need this company to promote the brand of the CryptoPunks. The pr- CryptoPunks brand has always been about promoting itself. Uh, like, we don't need help. We're CryptoPunks. And we don't even want help. Um, but... But can in, I- but can I ask you this? Mm-hmm. This this part doesn't make sense to me. It's like it feels. Look, I'm an kind of an outsider, not part of either mm-hmm. of these communities. So I'm just looking at. It. But it feels a little bit like Larva Labs is just doing this as a cash grab. Like, why couldn't they have just given CryptoPunk uh, owners Creative Commons license and like be done with it? Why did they have to sell to Yuka Labs all of this IP and all of these punks? Like, I'm wondering if some members of the the CryptoPunk community feel a little bit. Um, I don't know if betrayed mm-hmm. is the the right word, but maybe rug pulled. Um, well, so the, it wasn't the acquisition of the IP that I think was... That's only one part of the story. I think actually the bigger part of the acquisition is actually buying the treasury assets of Larva Labs, which was mm. 423 CryptoPunks. And, you know, with a 60 ETH floor, that's a lot of value. And seven over 1,700 MeBits. Uh, and so I, it was a package deal, right? Like, we'll buy your CryptoPunks, we'll buy your MeBits, and give us the IP, and we'll we'll make a deal. I don't know how much, like, I think I think the Larva Labs just wants to kind of sunset their responsibility over the CryptoPunks because they weren't really using that to do anything to begin with. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't I don't think Rugpulled is is the right descriptor. I think it was just like a passing of the baton, a passing of the torch onto I a see. new a new steward of the brand. Um, and that's kind of where the CryptoPunk side of the community kind of is like fearful. Like they don't want a steward of the brand. The brand is its own steward. It does itself as a headless brand. 
Uh, and so putting a head on the brand is kind of anti-CryptoPunk culture. I'm optimistic. In the mirror post from Yuga Labs, they definitely addressed how they have no intention of just giving the CryptoPunks the, the Bored Apes treatment uh, and that they will listen to the community before they take any action. So I'm optimistic about the outcome of this. I kind of think that the CryptoPunks get the best of both worlds. They both get to have their headless brand that many, many CryptoPunks will just give the middle finger, finger to Yuga Labs. And Yuga Labs will still have the incentive to promote the CryptoPunk brand so long as they don't do it in any cringe way like in my like how they kind of did with board apes in my opinion uh <laughs> then i think we're good here i think we're good here Res- respect the culture but as a punk holder you feel you're cautiously optimistic about I'm it cautiously like. optimistic i think that's a great way to put it yeah mm-hmm. um there's some takeaways from uh, william peaster you guys over now yuga labs now has five of the top 20 nft projects crazy so they are an absolutely massive crazy. player and brand holder in the nft space um larva labs is going to continue on with web three projects. You said they're kind of a, a builder hacker house and it looks like they're gonna spin up more uh, web three projects in the future. Um, it, it does beg the question of whether Yuga, what they do next, will, will they launch an NFT marketplace for mm-hmm. instance, right? Then they have the brands, do they go like start being vertically integrated and become sort of an open sea type of offering, get into the exchange business. Um, there's also some chatter about uh, acquisitions Right, so like if if Yuga Labs Board Apes can basically buy CryptoPunks, then that also means somebody can buy Board Apes, right? Buy mm-hmm. all of that IP. So who's next? Do the corporate behemoths enter the fray? Does like Disney go and buy an NFT project? Maybe they are the future owners mm-hmm. of Yuga Labs. Uh, they they own I don't all think the, the other. I don't brands. think the Board Apes is the right culture for Disney. <laughs> Uh, so, but maybe it's someone else, right? It's like, like the, the idea of these things being acquired and purchased is sort of entered the conversation, uh, as well. Um, when token, that's what we'll get to in a second. Yeah, it feels right. like there's a we got the answer token to that conversation, <laughs> play to earn games, some other things as well. But let's talk about the token really quick. So there was talk, there's an ape token. Get me up to speed on that, David. I haven't honestly been paying attention too much to, uh, to the ape coin. What's going on there? Yeah, so Yuga Labs minted an airdropped ApeCoin, I believe, as of this mo- uh, as of this morning. And ApeCoin is, according to uh, them, a token for culture, gaming, and commerce used to empower a decentralized community building at the forefront of Web three. Uh, some people have the the negative take on this is like a token for culture, gaming, and commerce, like these things that are supposed to be unlocked by having the token. Wasn't that what like the apes themselves were supposed to be? Uh, uh, but you know to each their own. This is com- putting a currency into an NFT world. So now we have the fungible money currency that's paired with the holders of the ape tokens that got all the money. So what they're going to be doing with the ERC20 token, I don't know, but you would imagine some sort of just like co- economy is growing. This is now like the nation of the apes, um, the world, the, the planet of the apes, if you will. They have their, <laughs> their own identity and their own currency, and now they have to build out their world whether and this, this is just was, for ape holders. This isn't across all Yuga Labs uh, right. properties. Just for uh, the apes themselves. Board apes, Crypt- mutant apes, apes, and kennel okay. uh, kennel dog 
Doggy Dog Club. I don't know the name of that one. The dogs that okay. go with the apes. So those okay, three yeah, projects yeah. got the ape coin airdropped in different proportions. Uh, got it. Even more critiques came from uh, the supply of, t- of the ape token that was given to Yuga Lab, Lab, Yuga Lab founders because some amount of was reserved for Yuga Lab founders, which is, which is typical, but then some amount was also uh, reserved for Bored Ape founders, which uh, they're the same thing. So, like, a little bit of a double dip right there. Um, uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's still in early days. There's some takes. Here's one from Alexis Ohanian, who's uh, coming on the podcast on Monday, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What's his take? Despite how bored my ape looks, I'm excited to share that ApeCoin DAO is adopting ApeCoin and that I'm serving on special counsel that will oversee the decisions of the community. So Alexis looks like is getting mm-hmm. in the fray as a, a governor of some sorts. Um, the exchanges are listing... ApeCoin as well. They've been very yep. quick to list. FTX, I got a email from Gemini saying, we are now listing ApeCoin. So good uh, BD, I, good BD from, yeah, from Yuga Labs. Business, yeah, they can, they can execute. These brands can execute. And what is this tweet that we're looking at here, David? Oh, uh, yeah. So this was interesting. This has less to do with the actual like airdrop out of Yuga Labs and more with NFTX. And NFTX is like an index for various um, uh, NFT projects. And so NFTX has a bunch of board apes in their vaults. And all of the board apes that NFTX has is claim able. They're able to claim the the tokens. They're able to claim the airdropped, but no one actually mm. owns them because it's owned by a pool. So what someone did is they took a flash loan to buy the entire vault of all board apes, and then Ooh. since they owned every single board ape, uh, they claimed every single board apes from NFTX airdrop, uh, and then and then resupplied and sold back to NF the NFC vault all of the apes, and then paid back their flash loan and was able to claim basically a million dollars of the ape token. So I don't NFTX even know if I'm mad about rubbed. that one. No, Am this I is mad clever. About that one? This is clever. Yeah. Like if it, NFTX that, didn't think about that, then that's on them. Yeah, that's that's pretty clever and some of the downstream effects of these things. Uh, so mm-hmm. summarize this for us. Overall, what do you think about the acquisition of punks by the apes and Yuga Labs moving forward? Acquisition of punks by apes, I am neutral to slightly positive on that. Uh, there's a decent chance that it just becomes a nothing burger and crypto punks are crypto punks forever and nothing can really change that. Um, so that's my opinion on that. With regards to the airdrop of the issuance of new tokens uh, to generate excitement and to make money goes back to my thesis of how we are in a 2018 part of the crypto cycle where people are just issuing tokens because it's the last last gasp of opportunity to pocket some money before we go into the bear market. There you go. That's the take. That's what happened this week, guys. Um, let's move on to something else that was in the headlines in the NFT world, which is Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, formerly Facebook, just confirmed rumors that Instagram we'll get into the NFT game in a matter of months, I believe. So nothing specific to announce other than Instagram is coming to NFTs. That's a big deal. It's like we all suspected it. But I do see this as um, some Zuckerberg capitulation. Now, I don't know what NFT platform he's going to deploy it on, but how could he not do something on Ethereum? He can't at this point in time spin up his own Facebook chain and start issuing NFTs there, right? So it's got to be with some of the existing platforms. And if that's the case, David, we're winning, man. Like we mm-hmm. got a, the biggest social media uh, conglomerate in the world now using NFTs as digi- digital property on its social media platform. 
I think that's fantastic. We'll see what Instagram does with it. But look, we've seen moves with you know TikTok. We've seen Twitter get in the NFT space. Uh, we knew Instagram was coming, and uh, it looks like they're they're coming in the next few months. Zuckerberg has just confirmed it. If only DM had worked out, they'd be able to do this natively versus their their own blockchain. But nope. nope. Yep, that's right. Nope. Uh, that's right. Bend, bend the knee, Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Regulation talk. Let's oh, talk about boy. a few things. We'll be real quick, though. Um, mm. Okay, so we, we've said for a while, Congress has got to do something to rein in the SEC and Gary Gensler. In, in fact, we talked to Representative Tom Emmer on about the Bankless this. podcast yeah. about that. Mm. We're like, come get your boy. Come you know, get Gensler's, your boy. <laughs> Gensler is all over the place. Rogue. Um, Unhinged. Gone a, a little bit rogue, on, you know, in crypto. And it's, it's, it's unclear how much of, like, how much actual authority enforcement authority he he actually has in the sec versus what he's actually doing and this is a letter from representative tom emmer and uh to gary gensler and a whole bunch of other representatives it says this my office that's tom emmer speaking has received numerous tips from crypto and blockchain firms that sec chair gary gensler's informational reporting requests in quotations to the crypto community are overburdensome and don't feel particularly voluntary and they are stifling innovation. So Representative Tom Emmer and company querying the SEC, asking what authority they actually have over the crypto industry, and maybe attempting to rein the SEC in somewhat. Uh, good job. Mm-hmm. That's what Congress should be doing. That's right. what our legislative branch should be doing, the executive branch. It, like The executive branch enforces laws. Okay, mm-hmm. They don't make laws. Right. And when they get into the the mode of of, of making laws and you know cr- crossing boundaries and being authoritarian, uh, yeah, exercising authority where they don't have it, that's when Congress needs to pull them in. Generally, Congress hasn't done very much, mm. but now here's Representative Tom Emmer starting to do something. Great to see. This is just like uh, I think the great a great summary for this is that this is like when the teacher sends a, a note home with the kid to the parent, like. <laughs> You had to get Tom Emmer to write a note to about about Gensler and the SEC to calm the f down and back off. <laughs> that's really that's really the message and kind of what we want. Let's not stifle innovation, guys. Yep. Um, some more good news on the regulatory front: the EU just voted down an anti-proof of work clause. Mm-hmm. So this was the Econ Committee of the EU Parliament. There was uh, some legislative action to actually ban proof of work. Ban proof of work. Didn't even know that that was happening. Right. So this this was happening. I'm not sure how enforceable it is. I don't know all the details of, of how this worked, but that was kind of on the periphery. Well, it just got voted down. 32 against, 24 in favor. So this is P- Patrick Hansen on, on Twitter saying, a big relief and political success for the Bitcoin and crypto community in the EU. Proof of work uh, is not it's, being... It's allowed is allowed cool. <laughs> as, it, as it was before. As it, it's as not it disallowed. Uh, it, I mean, it does indicate the headwinds that proof of work as an industry has. Um, I don't think you're going to see proof of stake having to fight these battles. Right. Uh, and you understand some of the concerns about you know, energy consumption, but right. um, proof of work has been sort of maligned and I don't think given a you know fair treatment either. Right. Um, this is a headline to Saudi Arabia considering uh, considers accepting the one instead of dollars for Chinese oil sales. Right? Yeah. This is coming on the heels of sanctioning an entire central bank. All of a sudden a bunch of countries get scared 
about having the dollar ha allow allowing the dollar to have so much power. Uh, so this is kind of the after effects of the, the pushback from our sanctioning of Russia. All of a sudden, the rest of the world sees like, oh, look what accidental powers we gave the United States government and Federal Reserve. Um, they can freeze all of our money. So now they are looking to the digital yuan or the yuan in general instead of dollars to process trade, which is bearish for the dollar. Yeah, I do think this is the beginning of the end for the uh, the dollar's supremacy as the world reserve currency on the back of these sanctions. Whether you agree with the sanctions or not, you, you've got to acknowledge that there are some, uh, some trade-offs here and some downstream effects. Um, let's talk about uh, South Korea for a second as we're spinning around the world today in the regulatory news. Yeah, so, let, let me take this one, Ryan. Uh, two, yeah. two candidates were running for president of South Korea. Both candidates were pro-crypto, therefore the pro-crypto candidate <laughs> won. Uh, and apparently both candidates were using crypto as a way to onboard votes from the younger generations. So crypto society growing in South Korea. You'll love to see it. That's awesome. It's all good news on the regulatory front. A16Z, they just appointed a treasury official as their head of regulatory. FinCEN um, person. Yep. Uh, what's this coming out of Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. Ukraine signed a new crypto regulation law. This new law appoints that agencies will regulate the markets and establish rules around virtual asset ownership rights, among other things. Uh, according to a statement out of Ukraine officials, Ukraine and foreign-based cryptocurrency exchanges will be allowed to operate and banks will be able to open accounts for crypto companies. So crypto giving the big thumbs up out of Ukraine. Um, you know, when crypto comes and saves the day for your country, you generally tend to be favorable to it. Absolutely. Um, the last thing is... One bad got to mention, yeah, the DEX aggregator Matcha, they just geo-blocked trades coming out of Russia. This is sanctions you know, filtering down into crypto territory, this time on the DeFi side of things. DeFi aggregator Matcha now geo-blocking trades from Russia. Um, you know, one inch is also geo-blocking mm -hmm. everyone in the U.S., for example. So this isn't new, but the aggregator layer seems to be a, uh, a choke point for sanctions and censorship, and I bet we'll see more of that in the future. That's ironic. I actually forgot that one inch was geo-blocking the United States because they're out of Russia and Masha's out of the U.S. and they're right. blocking Russians. <laughs> Everyone's getting blocked. <laughs> oh god! I think they, I think I think they're blocking the U.S. Uh, due to SEC sorts yeah, of that's concerns. Right. That's right. Um, and this is not SEC. This is just kind of OFAC sanctions right. type of thing. But it's right. you know all kind of the same same Either rhythm. Way. Way. Guys, we will be right back with the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi without giving up custody over your private keys. MetaMask is both a secure in-browser wallet and also a secure bridge for your hardware wallet. You can now trade tokens on any DEX or aggregator. MetaMask Swap gathers real-time pricing information across all the DeFi exchanges, allowing you to select your best price while getting all the MetaMask benefits of self-custody, lower gas costs, and increased transaction success rates. MetaMask also has a fantastic mobile wallet that I use when I'm out and about, which I use to collect POAPs, NFTs, and do all my DeFi things while I'm away from home. If you haven't downloaded MetaMask, you gotta try it out. Web3 wouldn't be the same without it. Download MetaMask for desktop and mobile at metamask.io and load up your Trezor, Ledger, Lattice, or Keystone hardware wallets so that they too can get into the world of Web3. Polygon is Ethereum's largest and most vibrant scaling solution to date. 
With millions of monthly users and all of the biggest DeFi apps, the Polygon ecosystem has turned into a blossoming metropolis of DeFi activity. Transactions on Polygon are quick and cheap, allowing users the freedom to achieve their DeFi goals, all while being economically anchored to Ethereum. But Polygon isn't just the proof-of-stake sidechain. The Polygon team is building a suite of scaling solutions, including Polygon Hermes, Maiden, Nightfall, and Zero, all with different design choices in order to be optimized for all possible crypto use cases. If you're a developer who wants to build on the Polygon ecosystem, go to the link in the show notes to check out their fantastic documentation. And if you're a user who just wants to experience fast and cheap DeFi, you can bridge over your ETH or other tokens and start playing around with any of the thousands of applications that are available on Polygon. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need L2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest and cheapest and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets back to the Layer 1. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure and ownership is being handed over to the community. You can be a part of this story of Across by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the fair fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, Go to across.to to bridge your assets between ETH, Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba Networks. All right, guys, we're back with the takes of the week. Here you go. First take. Some Ponzi's are scams. Others are the basis of human society. <laughs> well, that's quite a contrast. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we use the Ponzi word a lot at times here on Bankless, and that's because of how this tweet is right, in our opinion. I, th- I think I can speak for you, Ryan, when you agree totally with this agree. tweet. Totally agree, yeah. 100%. Sometimes people are like, you guys use the Ponzi word way too much. No, Ponzi games. You don't are, use it enough. <laughs> you don't use it enough, yeah. Every, everything is based on the fact that other people value the same thing, which is the basis for human shared interest interest psyche value. Uh, so yeah, some Ponzi's are, you, somebody's going to dump on you and then buy the more sustainable Ponzi. But it's Ponzi's all the way down. It I, is. I just enjoy this take. You know, Ponzi's are a coordination game. And the book that taught me that really more than anything else was Yuval Harari's book, yep. Sapiens. Sapiens yep. Yeah, it's it basically the thesis is all of humanity, all of our civilization, all of our coordination technology, the reason we can do things that the animal kingdom can't it's because of shared myths, stories. Shared stories, yeah. Ponzi's are an outcome of these shared stories and shared myths. In fact, they're a result of it. And so Ponzi's are actually our coordination technology. That doesn't mean Ponzi scheme. doesn't mean right. Bernie Madoff. That's not mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Uh, anyway. A Ponzi once you scheme understand is telling that, people a story that's not actually true. I just, I, I feel like this is a, a fundamental um, education block in yeah. like in crypto. You have to, you almost have to understand this before you understand Bitcoin and like the rest of yes. the monetary phenomenon and everything yep. that's going on. Yep. So that's why M- we're emphasizing Money it. is a gigantic Ponzi that doesn't <laughs> pop. The good monies are Ponzi's <laughs> that don't pop. All right, next take, DC investor take. What is he saying here, David? I am done building identities and brands which corporations can buy and sell without paying me. And for me to go, to be expected to go along with the ride because my identity is attached to them. From now on, will only feature art by independent artists and create CCO PFPs on this account. So this is in reaction to Yuga Labs buying the CryptoPunks IP from Larva Labs. And DC Investor is saying he only likes NFTs where he is the, uh, the sole owner of the IP and because he doesn't want, you know, 
uh, centralized companies buying the IP of an NFT profile picture that he he rocks. So I will note, point out that DC Investor now has an MFR as his profile picture uh, because uh, Sartoshi and the MFers are CCO and they give complete ownership rights of the IP towards the owners of the NFT. So that's pretty so cool. So is is DC an uh, example of somebody who's maybe not so happy? Yes. A punk holder is not right. so happy about yes. this Yuga Labs initiative? Yes. He is cautiously pessimistic, I will say, where I'm cautiously optimistic. Are there are there some people in the CryptoPunk community who are just like ballistic angry, I'm selling all my punks kind of thing? Um, I saw one tweet that? about that, uh, but no, I haven't seen more than that. Interesting. I'm really, you know, enjoying seeing that uh, that play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just interesting mm-hmm. to see that play out. He, he says more on the CCO thing. Should we read that too? Yeah, clarifying my thoughts on CCO. CCO doesn't mean it's a better NFT. There's lots, lots of garbage CCO NFTs. It's also possible some corporate administered NFTs outperforms for many reasons. I simply pr- to prefer to participate in communities where they can't sell my participation to others. So some takes. Go. DC. Some takes. Uh, indie. He's an indie NFT holder. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Uh, your take. The narrative around ETH has evolved beyond my wildest dreams. That's you. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that you're quote tweeting this consensus tweet mm-hmm. that says all proceeds from the round. This is the massive round that consensus just raised. Um, yeah, 450 million. Is that yep. how much it was? Yep. To further build consensus. Uh, the, the, the funds from the round will be converted to ETH to further build consensus ultrasound money position. Ultrasound money position. <laughs> you love to see it. You love to see it. In order to rebalance its ETH to fiat ratio in line with consensus's treasury strategy. So consensus picking a new unit of account to measure wealth in and they're naming that unit of account ultrasound money. This was infeasible where they in 2017. Got that from. Yeah, where did they get yeah. that from? Well, the podcast wasn't even out like <laughs> at this time last year. It just came out, so right. it wasn't feasible. Does this mean um, that $450 million of ETH buy pressure is coming? I don't know. It should be. That's what the tweet says. You got to buy it back, consensus. <laughs> buy what you sold at 80. Yeah. Um, this is my take. You want to read it? The more you know, the less you diversify. Ryan Sean Adams. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the take, man. I I, I feel like um, this is true for my own investment strategy. Like the more I know about a particular asset, the more conviction I have about a particular asset, the less I care about diversifying. And I do think that conviction holds concentrated portfolio positions are the real way to build long term wealth. I I see so many people uh, enter crypto when they don't really know what they're buying and they'll do like a, a shotgun scattershot approach. It's like, get a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And some YouTuber recommended this and I'm getting this. Uh, and, um, I, I think that's because they don't know enough. Right. I don't think that, like right. it's, and I find that in myself too. Like, I don't know very much. Like I, I don't look at individual equities very often. Mm-hmm. So if I ever participate in equities, guess what I'm buying? Mm-hmm. S&P, S&P 500, mm-hmm. right? But I don't participate in equities because I know about crypto. Mm -hmm. And the more I know about crypto, the less I want to diversify out of crypto as an asset class. (laughs) So it also holds true from an asset class categories. Like crypto is going to be the future. It's like it's it's so obvious to me. Why would I hold my wealth in anything other than crypto? Like I don't feel like I need to diversify. I mean, have some safety nets for sure. But like like have a house, have, you know some stable coins have some dry powder but like i'm i'm not diversifying out of crypto man it's like all in crypto you know it rhymes with diversification 
What? what? Capitulation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, right. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, some people, when I tweet this out, some people made the point that, um, you know, a whole lot of people delude themselves on this, too, and sure. they get burnt, right. right? Yeah. And I, mean, I do you're, think you're that... rewarded if you're right, and you're punished if you're wrong. <laughs> Why not? Why not live life like that? Yeah. All right, so uh, you have a take on my take, though. What is it? Yeah, I think this is a great way to illustrate the difference in our dispositions as individuals, where Ryan Sean Adams very politely says, the more you know, the less you diversify. And I just quote tweet him. I say, here's what he really means. He means diversification is for the weak. <laughs> Have a spine, folks. Believe in yourself. I, I, I guess that is what I mean, David. Uh, <laughs> you put it very succinctly as well. All right, man, what are you excited about this week? Oh, God, Ryan, I am just excited for ETH season. Uh, if we indeed are going into the bear market, uh, then at least it will be ETH season along the way. Uh, it'll be the one entertaining, the one bright spot on the horizon uh, of what is just like a crazy, crazy macro environment with, with you know, the potential R word coming. Or none of that happens, and it's still ETH season. Either way, it's ETH season, so I'm excited either <laughs> do, way. Do you mean you're happy to hold on to ETH as if it's going down, as long as it's going down... Right. Um, less relative relative to the rest of crypto sure yeah that would mm -hmm. make you fine that, that's about fine right yeah but but also <laughs> just like each season means more than just like price price action but each price build action season versus, yeah it's build season it's like let's let's come back to our fundamentals let's come back yeah. to what's real let's get rid of the noise uh let's talk about my favorite topic ever which is ultrasound money like that, that yeah we're just, this is when the crypto twitter discourse is talking about the thing that i care about other than some ridiculous <laughs> nft ponzi scheme or plater and game or whatever but yeah, I, I hear you. That'll be actually be refreshing, no Quite matter what refreshing. the price is doing at that point <laughs> yeah. in time. It's like we're shipping stuff for the future that matters a lot, right? Like the merge right. is going to be absolutely massive. The yeah. big, biggest fundamental event, it, you, prices aside, who cares right. about prices? I mean, right. this is history. So. Well, I care a little bit about prices. Well, we do, we do. <laughs> All right, Ryan, we, we do, do excited care about. a lot. Uh, I'm excited about the token frame I have mm. behind me. Mm -hmm. So uh, the folks at Token Frame sent me one of these. It's pretty awesome. I, um, you know, look, I'm new to the NFT scene. Okay, like mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with it, but this is a, a digital frame, first one I've ever tried, and uh, I really like how it works. So what's cool about this is um, you actually connect MetaMask, mm -hmm. and they're verified NFTs, right? So this is not just a JPEG or a screenshot. It's actually pulling my uh, cool cat from my portfolio. Mm. It's also cool is uh, I can change it around, like, right? So, like, I could... Uh, I'm about to get your turtle you know, there or your MF -er. if I wanna If I want to change, oh, boom. Wow, that actually is pretty cool. From That's cat to cool. turtle. That's pretty cool. Just like that. Uh, I'm still, you know, learning. I also would like to remove the cord. I think mm -hmm. I have to, like, poke a hole in the wall, do some more work, and, like, mm -hmm. put the cord behind it. But uh, it's cool, man. Physical meets digital. Um, it's been I think, fun. I think it'd be super. Can you go back to your cat? I think it'd be super yeah. funny if you dress up as your cat one day, kind of like how we did with, with dress Halloween. Up as my cat. Yeah, but like you know, like a red flannel, a white T-shirt, a bull cap, and what, uh, what else is there? That that's that's it. That'd be a, that'd be a good look. It'd be a good look. Yeah. Well, I'm holding my cat. I'm holding my turtles. You know, I don't know. Uh, do you ever sell NFTs, David? Do you flip NFTs, or are you just all uh, always you, buying? You, when I buy, sometimes I buy one, and the hype just doesn't sustain itself, and then I just kind of see it on its trend to zero. So I'll sell some of those. Um, but the the ones that I shill on Twitter. I do not sell based off of principle. So that includes my CryptoPunk, my MFers. Um, are there any others? This is the thing. I don't know how to make on money the cat, on the, the cats. on NFTs, David, because like whenever I buy an NFT, like I don't want to sell it anymore. Right. 
Right. I get attached yeah. to it. So I'm yeah. just like, well, am I the sucker here? Right. Like, am I actually buying an asset if I'm never going to sell it for yeah, real you're money? Just, you're just buying a noun at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, at some point, though, maybe NFTs get integrated in the broader DeFi economy, right? You can lend mm -hmm. against it. You can borrow against all sorts of things. So maybe I won't have to sell and can still still be worth it. Anyway, that's what I'm excited about. Uh, token frame. Thank you guys for uh, for that frame. It's awesome. Uh, let's get to meme of the week, though. Meme of the week. This here is on go. theme. You ready? There you go. <laughs> it's merge week. This is uh, the ultrasound money Twitter account saying issuance now 15k ETH a day, issuance at merge 1.5k ETH a day. Uh, and then the meme is they don't know. They don't it's know. That, it's that but dude at the party, like sitting in the corner, the party, right? Yeah. But with, with bankless listener, dancing. you know, because bankless told I you. Know. I you know. Yeah. Guys, you also know none of this has been financial advice. Bitcoin is risky, so is ETH, so is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.